Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Hello, Ben. Welcome back to the land of the living. My God. You're alive. Yes, I am. I knew it. I knew that this would happen. Then why are you so surprised to see me? Because it's one thing to believe it, John. It's another thing to see it. Then why were you trying to run away to the main island? I broke the rules, John. I came back to the island. I was going to answer for what I'd done. I was going back to be judged. Judged. By whom? What, John? We don't even have a word for it. But I believe you call it the monster. It's the Lost Rewatch Podcast here on Post Show Recap Socket Season 5, Episode 12, Dead is Dead. Look! Death! I'm Josh Wiggler. That over there. Oh, it's death! Am, am I death? Is that what you were referring didn't we do, to? Didn't we do this? We did this bit. We did this bit. We, we did this place is death. I was going to come and speak him <laughs> another bit. I was going to come in and say, Dad is dad? Dad is dad? Dad? Oh my god, dead is dead. You don't get to come back from that, Mike Bloom. No, I mean, listen, that's uh, something I can ascribe to many things I've said over the years of podcasting. Mm-hmm. 
Um, <laughs> you don't get to come back from tattooing your body. Exactly. Don't get to come back from eating snake. Yeah. Like, I have learned the lesson that Benjamin Linus has espoused. Uh, oh, you know, he, He's before my time, but never have I felt those words more so than in this past year, considering what I have done to myself, the sacrifices I've made over the course of talking into this microphone. Oh, my God. All right. Dead is dead. We are talking about it. Season 5, Episode 12, a Benjamin Linus episode. Uh, in my opinion, a classic 4.2 Season 5 episode of Lost. I'm very excited to get into it. This is where, uh, if you're into the monster stuff, I feel like this is such a rewarding, fun episode. Some excellent, exceptional performances from both Michael Emerson and Terry O'Quinn. Some really great mythology stuff. Really important in setting up the the Season 5 endgame. And whether you like it or not, and I think for many people it's not, very important, I think, for the for the final season endgame as well. So I'm I'm pumped that we're here, Mike. It's a, it's a little surreal to me because I think that I was thinking about this earlier uh of like late stage lost. I mean, mm. if it, if we're talking about just like the first 3 seasons of Lost, there's so many other episodes that I've watched uh, more than I've watched this one. But as far as like late stage Lost is concerned, uh and I'm like classifying that as like foreign beyond the second half of the show as far as I'm concerned, um I don't think that there's an episode that I thought about more and like at least mentally revisited if not like actively watched more than dead is dead i i when when we got through the season five finale and they flipped the card and they at least strongly suggest who uh the the man wearing john Locke's face is my head instantly snapped back to dead is dead it's like oh my god that episode plays so differently now uh and was just such fun fuel for me uh as i was spending that long off season between the second to last season and the final season of lost thinking about where the show would go next and i just could not stop thinking it was right there in front of us the Mm -hmm. whole time dead is dead plays one way once and then it plays another way every time after that and it's layers within layers of that i think that this is an incredibly rewarding episode of the show mike i cannot think of a better episode so far that has become that much more rewarded on a rewatch. You know, we certainly talk about things like Through the Looking Glass, where after the We Have to Go Back surprise, okay, now we can look back and sort of admire the brilliance of the swerve that the writers put in there. But to your point, I don't think I can think of an episode, maybe a bit with the Ben stuff in season two. But even then, this episode, they so clearly knew what the ending was. And... I'll admit, when I was watching it for the first time, I was like, this, this is good. You know, it's it sort of was in this stretch that, at the time, I sort of considered not Nothing Burger, but, like, Nothing Burger adjacent. I'm like, okay, these are, this, he's are you, and whatever happened, happened. These are all, you know, character-centric episodes that flash back to right before Ajira. Like, this is fine. I'm not entirely sure what's going to happen next. But I loved revisiting this episode. Because the really fun thing about it, besides everything you talk about, being set up, especially with the man in black as an antagonist, because let's remember, and maybe this in, in incorporates a bit into the final thing of, okay, the man in black is the big bad, is that Smokey 
kind of disappears a bit after season three, you know, and maybe that was due to the writer strike. We haven't seen him that much. We didn't, we saw him once in season four where, you know, the havoc he wreaks is going to be present here. Uh, we're going to see him briefly earlier on in this season, but when it comes to main antagonists, you know, once we got highlights of people like Ben and the others and Kimi and Charles Widmore, he went away a little bit. And this is a return to form of the monster, and I think a big reminder and a big indicator to us of what the end game of the series is going to look like. Yes, Charles Widmore is going to be involved, and they're going to have this war that we're going to be talking about in season six, but it is going to come back to this creature that wreaked havoc on the very first night of 815 is going to end up becoming the big bad. One thing that I really enjoyed about Dead is Dead, though, is it is a perversion in my opinion, of episodes like The Man Behind the Curtain. Uh, very similar structure, right? Of like, here's John Locke and Ben Linus off to go do something. Uh, for Ben, it was, you know, showing where his people are. For, in this case, it was being judged by the smoke monster. And you find out a bit about Ben along the way. But the really substantially fun thing about this episode is that it is a two-hander, but one of the hands is not from a person you think it is. You know, it's it's not the typical John Locke, Benjamin Linus episode that you first think. It mm-hmm. is a Benjamin Linus, yeah. Man in Black episode. And I find that monumentally enjoyable yes. to watch. Yes. Uh, th- specifically from Terry O'Quinn's perspective. Yes. like He's chewing w- on it like an orange peel that he's smiling with and he's in on a joke and no one else gets it. Exactly. And I think Terry O'Quinn's performance is just, again, it's one of these things where I'm looking back like, oh man, I should have known something was happening because he's so different. And I think at the time you chalk it up to like, well, he's back on the island. You might even say maybe if he got Brock back to life, like he just might be behaving a bit differently, much like we see with Saeed in season six. But just the way that Terry O'Quinn plays him, like his voice is deeper, his strut is slower as if he feels like he doesn't need to hurry to go anywhere. He has this cockiness. Like you said, there's a lot more smirking and smiling as on the part of John Loki. It's a really great opportunity to drill down into this performance, considering that we haven't seen anything of him so far. We've had a couple of scenes in Jeremy Bentham, but outside of that, we have not seen John Loki t- come to the stage. The, the curtains are open, the spotlight's on, and I'm happy to welcome him here. Yeah, he's just having so much fun, Terry O'Quinn, playing this character. And again, we talked about this before, that like the note I believe he was uh, he was playing uh, was, you know, he was informed, like, uh, when you're back on the island, like, John Locke isn't lost anymore. He's found what he's looking for. That, like, any of the doubt, any of the insecurity that's holding the character back is, is uh, he's freed of that. Um, and so that's the way he's playing the character. Terry O'Quinn isn't, like, you know, playing the, like, the mythological nemesis of the show in his, like, in his performance, but, like, the way it's written, and obviously now that we know what it is that he actually is, um, the performance just, like, maps onto that so, so, so well. And you're right that, like, in terms of, like, the monster monster, like, Smokey McSmokerton, it's been a minute, and he's been used uh, sparingly on the show since season three, just a few times here and there. Um, But we have started, like, turning over this other card specifically with John Terry, John Terry O'Quinn, this collaboration mm-hmm. uh, of the Man in Black character up to this point before Titus Welver gets his say in it as well, um, that we're starting to see like Christian Shepard as uh, an emissary for the island or posing as one at least um, in season four and, and bits and pieces in season five as well. So like 
there are there are because the monster much like its amorphous form is many things right he's a cloud of smoke and he is some sort of like mischievous trickster god as well um and he's also just a man who's been wronged by time and his brother and wants to <laughs> gtfo from the island uh and so all of that swirls together much like the monster does when he's hovering around somebody uh and sensing and and uh and and you know hypnotizing or uh picking up on their on their past and assessing everything that they've gone through like all of that is in play with this character and i and i think that there's a lot of building blocks that take you to this place that after the fact you feel like oh man it's so it's it's all right there so much of it is present in this episode specifically, it's highly enjoyable to me, despite where it goes. Because uh, for many people, and I definitely count myself as one of them, I think that there are uh, at least large aspects of this character um, that feel like uh, maybe we're not uh, executed as well as they could have been once we get to that final season. <laughs> I think that, th- that this version of the man in black is like... Uh, among the most superior versions of the character that we get and it you know don't mourn what's to come uh like be psyched about what you're getting in the moment and for me like i'm really really psyched about what we get in dead is dead i just think it's such a cool character uh the way that like you said like i think that this is like um there's a lot of ways in which this is like an inversion of the man behind the curtain because like uh, it's like, you know, Ben is like walking around, like talking to, to John Locke as if he knows like what the steps that need to be taken are, even though he's secretly terrified of John Locke and as he should be because he thinks he has all the answers, but this guy he's palling around with right now secretly holds all the cards. Um, it's just, it's, it's so, so, so fun. I'm really hyped to get into it, Mike. Yeah. And it's also a big character examination of Ben Linus as well. I have a lot of questions about this episode, and not from like, a, well, how come this happened? Though there are certainly quibbles from time to time, but more so, why Ben makes the decisions that he does. Because I think, up to this point, you know, The Man Behind the Curtain is a really interesting demonstration of how, you know, a broken kid became a broken man, essentially, and and the danger that he wields. And we talked about how oddly delightful it was to, you know, have him be part of this whole Dharma purge, But I think this episode goes into detail a bit more about sort of like talking about rules, the rules that Ben sets for himself and how he reacts when he breaks the rules. Because let's also remember from a Benjamin Linus modern day perspective, dude's on a bit of a downslide. Yeah. Right. He arguably hit the climactic moment where he moves the island uh, and now he's going to come back. This entire episode is going to set up, essentially, the monster telling him, do whatever John Locke says, including kill Jacob. And he's going to find out that he essentially gets tricked into killing his leader at the end of the season. It's not a great season for Benjamin Linus, but I think it's a really interesting episode to see what makes Ben Linus tick both in the past and the present so that when we look ahead to his future and even from a sideways perspective, you know, when he's going to be the one standing outside the church in the finale being like, I'm not ready to go inside yet. I think Dead is Dead is actually a very impactful episode in letting us see how he views himself. We've talked a lot about how Ben sees, he personally sees that what he does is, is nothing wrong necessarily. He's a very much end justifies the means person. But I think we find that that's not a complete black and white issue 
I, I got a lot of nuances, I think, from the character of Benjamin Linus that confuse me a bit, but in a good way to, I think, make him more of a fully realized, flawed person than just, like, you know, the supervillain who sometimes get his, gets his comeuppance. Totally, totally, absolutely. All right, we'll get into all of that. We will unpack this man's psyche as we go forward into the jungle. First, let's take a quick moment to thank our sponsors for this episode of Post Show Recaps. Those are friends over at Geico. Do you own or rent your home? Sure you do. And I bet it can be hard work. You know it's easy? Bundling policies with Geico. Geico makes it easy to bundle your homeowner's or renter's insurance along with your auto policy. It's a good thing, too, because you already have so much to do around your home. Go to Geico.com, get a quote, and see how much you could save. It's Geico easy. Visit Geico.com today. That's Geico.com. Mike Bloom, let's go forth into the jungle. Let us talk about Dead is Dead. Directed by Stephen Williams. Written by Brian K. Vaughn and Elizabeth Sarnoff. Originally airing April 8th, 2009. Focusing on Benjamin Linus and beginning with, like, it's not quite, quite beginning with a young Benjamin Linus, more beginning with a young Charles Widmore. Uh, is this the yeah. first sight of, like, middle-aged Charles Widmore? I believe so, right? Yeah, and I think we're only going to get one more appearance of him, right? I want to say, like, Follow the Leader is we'll when We'll see him in Follow up. the Leader for sure, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, so yeah, we're, we're actually not going to see that much of him. Do you have any thoughts on middle-stage uh, Charles Widmore, the war turtle? Charles the, Widmore. The war turtle. Um, I, I really like it. I think the casting is great. I think he, he looks, uh, he looks like, uh, Alan Dale, you know, like, I, uh, yeah. I think it's really, it's really in the face. Yeah. The face is really incredible. And like the voice and the mannerisms, like he, he definitely has big Widmore energy, this guy. Uh, and it's funny cause I, uh, I'm, I subscribe to the lost subreddit. I check it out every once in a while. And just like when I'm on my Reddit app, it's one of the things that's on my homepage. Uh, and the other day when I was just like scrolling through, um, there was this like side by side by side of the young Charles Widmore, the middle Charles Widmore and the Charles Widmore OG Alan Dale version. And like, the escalation like the casting was just really they really really nailed it young charles widmore is like a little maybe more of like a snot-nosed punk uh-huh. uh compared to to like the more like sort of like gruff uh sort of like supervillain versions like the lex lutherish versions of widmore that that he goes on to become but you could still see the line i think that they just uh they they, they did an exceptional job casting uh casting this guy and i gotta say i think middle stage widmore midmore if you will I think he's probably the least big of an asshole out of the three of them. That's not saying much, right? Because the very first introduction introduction we're going to get is him riding in on horseback, probably going, yeah, uh, and saying, you know, like, oh, you should have let the boy die. I will say, though, you know, we'll we'll get into his conversation with Ben. Like, he's actually fairly not nice, but at least, like, fairly accommodating to – Ben, not necessarily, as you said, the snot-nosed brat we got in Jughead, and certainly not on the, like, malevolent, Machiavellian, unfeeling way that we see Alan Dale be, even in future flashbacks in this episode. At the start, at least, he's, like, trying. Uh, but, like, exactly. the very, very start, like, the episode begins with Widmore rolling up to Richard Alpert, because we're picking up immediately from him being brought down to the temple and his life being saved, but at what cost? Uh, and Widmore comes to Albert like, you should have let the boy die. And Albert says, the island chooses what the island chooses. <laughs> Do you think it was Jack Shepard just like 
chain. Like, I heard that doctor saying that outside the barracks, and I decided yeah. to say, yeah, then he dies. It yeah. all makes sense. That guy's got a lot of good ideas. But then he dies. Uh, the Island Chooses What the Island Chooses would have been a bad name for an episode, so I'm glad that <laughs> yeah, never little, happened. Little, little mouthy. I will say, I think, as, as much as we... Uh, we gripe with some lost episode titles. I do feel like not a lot of them are very wordy. Maybe the life and death of Jeremy Bentham might be the longest one we have. And even that is like relatively small compared to some Survivor episode titles, for instance. Yeah. Uh, so Widmore is going to go into this tent where uh, young Ben is recovering from his gunshot and from whatever happened to him. Because uh, that happened no matter what. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are going to have the following conversation. Sound number one. Hello, Benjamin. What happened? You were injured. How? You don't remember. Where am I? You're among friends. We're going to take care of you. My dad. Is he here? We'll be back to him soon enough. No. No, I don't want to go. Okay, easy. Easy. No. I don't want to go back. I want to stay. I want to be one of you. Just because you're living with them doesn't mean you can't be one of us. You should be dead, Benjamin. But this island, it saved your life. Who are you? I'm Charles. Charles Widmore. It's your favorite thing from this season. <laughs> I'm so I'm glad first you brought name. it up. At, first as name, as last name. Back. <laughs> My name's Charles. As he looks directly into the camera, Charles Widmore. I'm, I'm Charles Widmore. In case you didn't know, I'm Charles Widmore. And then baby Ben like turns and looks at the camera and goes, and I'm Benjamin Linus, in case you missed the last couple of episodes. I'm That's me. I'm Ben Ben Linus. Yeah, there's actually a record scratch. And Michael Emerson goes, yep, that's me. I'm yep. wondering, how, you're probably wondering how I got to this spot. <laughs> oh my God. It really is so ridiculous ridiculous and especially i think in this season because there are a lot of like these like time travel things uh, i wonder if in follow the leader do we get a moment where she's like i'm eloise eloise hawking i just don't i don't think so but maybe i think uh, it's just that the creators we mentioned back to the future last week <laughs> did dalton just love the it's your cousin marvin marvin yeah. barry do they just love that scene and decide to replicate it every encounter they get i mean i guess we shouldn't be so judgmental every time we do a podcast we go i'm josh wiggler this is mike bloom it's as if people don't already know who we are Our but to be fair you don't, you don't go us, you don't go i'm josh josh wiggler. i should start <laughs> i should start <laughs> by the way if there's anybody who's listening to this who doesn't know who i am i'm josh josh wiggler and i'm mike Mike Bloom. <laughs> can we can we talk fashion here for a second, there, Josh? Can, uh, can we talk about can we talk young, about the scarf? Young Charles, it's uh, like rocking the buff, you know. Uh, I'm, I'm intrigued by this. Like, I, it made sense when Ben was wearing this type of stuff in the shape of things to come because he was spending the majority of his time in the Middle East 
which is filled with desert. I know that we are on an island and there are some beaches, some coastline, but I feel like the, the scarf is not necessarily something you want to rock. No offense to uh, certain Australian Survivor contestants who have made it part of their look. It just feels like a bit of a needless it's accessory. Like, I don't know. Well, first of all, it looks spectacular. So what are you supposed to do? Not look as incredible as you possibly can when you have this at your disposal? So he looks great. The hair, by the way, looks amazing uh, with Moore's, uh, like, uh, you know, not quite far quad. Like, he's he's on his way, <laughs> but he's looking good. Um, uh, yeah, I, near quad. I, he's near quad. <laughs> near far quad. Uh, like, <laughs> I think, like, it's good. It's a good look. And then I think, like, the buff, the hanky chiff kind of makes it. Uh, it gets sweaty out there, Mike. You get dirty. You need to, like, mop some that of true. that sweat off. Yeah, that is true. That I think I guess it, it serves more so to mop up the moisture than anything. Because otherwise, I'm just like, it's not that chilly out there. You're in the middle of the South Pacific. Yeah. Uh, you know, I'm, I'm, you're just creating more of a hot box for yourself. But maybe it's also the approach of like, hey, we're friends, right? Like that's the scarf of someone who uh, who wants to be your friend, yes. who will make you a deal of like, listen. We had a brief bump in the road, but let's go back to what Richard told you before. Go back to your people. Be patient. You're still one of us. You're going to be our little spy. You're going to be a mole, and we're going to be fine from here. Sure, you don't remember what happened, but let's just focus on the future, Benny, baby. Yeah, so he is, like, trying to be that guy for Ben, and I guess it works, right? At some point, he's going to recover. The incident will occur. Uh, I don't know exactly how they will uh, ultimately explain what happened to Ben and how he survived and all of that stuff. I think probably it gets like a little bit hand waved away in the light of uh, having to evacuate swaths of the island and a nuclear bomb going off uh, and uh, somehow everyone surviving that. A lot of questions about like immediate post incident uh, Mm -hmm. uh, protocol that I have that will never be answered. That's the thing is that and th- this is a, a little bit of one of my few gripes with this episode is that I, I, it shines a bit more light on the Ben stuff in like the 80s, 90s, etc. But not enough, in my opinion. I think there is still a swath of island history, uh, namely, like you said, what happens post-incident to like... Charles Widmore, how does he get caught consorting off the island? You know, how does he get exiled? We talked about how, was it Eloise Hawking who turned the donkey wheel the first time? Uh, You know, how does she leave the island? There are still questions to be answered, even outside of the six seasons, in that we move on from this sort of era. The show is, is trying to fill in some blanks here, but there are... Still enough to fill in a Mad Libs book. Yeah, for sure. Uh, So uh, I'm Charles. Charles Woodmore. We get the intro. That's nice. Uh, We (laughs) go to the present to Hydra Island, and we get the the scene that we listened to at the top of this episode. Uh, It is not John Locke, though he sure looks like him. Uh, Welcoming Benjamin Linus back to the land of the living. I can't remember. I don't. I think outside of the the Rashomon stuff from the beginning of season two, I can't imagine many other episodes that like pick off immediately from the last one but you can definitely see like oh that's not the same shots they use for the end of whatever happened happened but i guess it's close enough ben specifically looks significantly less bloodied than he did during the end of whatever happened happened we should probably be giving ben some measure of credit for um for uh waking up to the sight of not just a dead man standing over him, but a man that he himself killed 
And rather than being like, ah, ah, ghost, ghost, spooky, ah, instead he's like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> and that's and that's why Benjamin Linus is so great is because he I is such a BSer. Knew it. Yeah. He's like, oh, oh, John, this is great. I knew this was going to happen the entire time. Yeah. Uh, and I love it because, again, this has also been trying to like prop himself up at the same time to being like, oh, I know this island. That's why I brought you because I knew this had to happen. The one line that I really, really like from this uh, in- entire exchange from the opening is, you know, it's one thing to believe, John. It's another thing to see it. And that feels so oppositional to everything else that we've heard before. Like, uh, you know, like the the Saeed, oh, I can see it, but I have to believe it first. And like everything we've experienced with Jack. Right. It's just a really interesting thing to have uh, to have a character say, oh, yeah, I thought of something, but then I saw it and it completely changed my attitude. It feels very oppositional to the whole man of science, man of faith argument. The fact that he's just like, oh, my God, you know, this is what I thought would happen. I, I felt very strongly this would happen. But here you are, John. This is just exceptionally great. Uh, unbelievable. I cannot believe it worked. Uh, and you know the monster is like cracking up because he's like, this is not what you think at all. Uh, you don't really think that at all. Oh my god, this is going to be so fun. Because uh, he already knows, like, he needs this person under his thumb. That's the arc of the episode. So, like, to just be very clear about it because we know where we're going with season five. Um, this is not John Locke. This is the man in black. This is Jacob's brother. This is the guy who wants to kill Jacob at all costs so that he himself shall now be free at some point anyway if all of the other people who could potentially replace Jacob are dead to leave the island. But for whatever reason, rules are in place where he cannot do it himself. Their right. mother has made it that way. <laughs> uh, wow, 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 wow. Uh, so he can't do it himself. He's going to need somebody to do it for him. So his grand master plan here is that he is going to have Ben be the guy. He's going to make Ben, who is so emotional and so vindictive and has killed literally dozens and dozens, if not hundreds of thousands of people, potentially. We don't know how long the list is of people that Ben has killed. He's going to very casually shotgun a man to death in this very episode. Mm -hmm. He's going to have this guy kill Jacob. Uh, He needs to get him in a position where he will pledge undying fealty to the man that he previously thought to have killed, John Locke, and will do anything that he says. So everything that happens in this episode specifically is to ensure that loyalty so that when the moment comes, Ben will do as told. Um, and so the monster, uh, as uh, as Ben will refer to him, uh, that we, I need to be judged by this thing, is actually the person he's speaking to right now. And this monster who he's speaking to is indeed rather monstrous because his intentions for Ben are not unlike, you know, like pulling wings off of a trapped fly. He's like, I totally have your number. I've got you completely clocked. It's so effortless uh, for the man in black, what he's about to do with Ben. It took a long time to get here. Um, but now that he's here, the rest of the steps, it's really just walking through the door and hearing Ben talk in this moment. I think the man in black has that clocked. It's really, really fun to watch. Yeah, and I what I do find interesting, though, 
Ben says we don't have a name for it. Yeah, you've had so many years. You've had so much time. Have they not come up with a name for this thing? I mean, we're going to call him the man in black uh, when he actually shows up like in his proper form in the season five finale. It was always interesting to me that like they never gave the character an outright name, especially from the people that resided on this island in the case of Richard Alpert for centuries. Yeah, Uh there's the others they don't have the name for it. you know the the Darman initiative calls them the hostels uh but we don't get that from like uh you know juliet sort of like sarcastically says the others on a couple of occasions or just because it's like shorthand with the 815ers uh but there's never really a name for them there's no name for the monster from the others to the monster there's no name for the man in black other than the man in black they're just mm-hmm. going to start calling him Locke in the final season for whatever reason, Mike, this stuff does kind of annoy me, and I've like had to try and just like get to some measure of peace with it. Around the time that this was airing, in fact, the time that season six was airing, um, and they got to across the sea, and they they stopped short of naming the man in black, who initially was going to be named Sam, I believe, in um, early scripts. I don't know if they even shot any footage of, of this character uh, being called Sam. Um, they stopped short of naming him on the show, and I remember being really annoyed. And um, I was writing recaps of the show for the final season at MTV when I was working there. Um, and I remember like one bit of feedback that I got. I like got back and forth, uh, got into a back and forth with someone who who really liked Across the Sea and really liked what they were aiming for. And like their thing was like they're going for like mythology, they're going for something that like feels biblical, they're going for like unnamed unspoken um uh you know like uncharacterized evil that this is like a a character who is just like who represents the the void who represents the abyss who represents the darkness of the heart uh and so to name that character would be less powerful than like the mythical namelessness of the character and there's ways in which i get that and then ways in which i'm like just call him fred just name him (laughs) just call him bill just name just the him, guy. Just give him a name. Because he's when he, when he not, has a name, he loses power. He's not Locke, you know. So don't call him that. Like that's that's where like I feel like uh, it gets confusing. It's like that's not Locke. So yeah, a lot of people it, are like that's Locke, right? In the final scenes, like no, that's no, not it's, him. It's, it's a totally different guy. To explain. Exactly. Very different guy. But for the for the manner of speaking, at least in this moment, first time viewers think it is John Locke. And there's a really fun reaction where when Ben says, you know, I believe you call it the monster, Locke's eyes narrow. And you could feel like the inner monologue in John Loki's mind is like, oh, this is going to be amazing. I got it. I got it. Oh, this is great. This is going to be a good old, good old expedition of a night here. I'm so pumped. Um, So the next day, um, you know, Ben is like, uh, he's like going around. He's talking with everybody. He's talking to Caesar. uh, And Caesar's like, what do you think about that guy over there? Like pointing at John Locke. He's like, he says you killed him. Ben's like, huh? Uh, That's weird because he looks fine to me. They like forge a friendship, like a light alliance that goes here. Uh, sort of. Like, and, and, and well, especially because Ben d- is able to like bond with Caesar over their mutual distrust in John Locke. And Ben, yeah. what I love about it is Ben is trying to essentially do to Locke what they did to Ben of being like, uh, I don't think he was on the plane. 
Yes. I think he's possibly a spy or yes. one of them trying to infiltrate our ranks. Like, and this is, again, Ben sort of not high and mighty, but he feels pretty confident, right? He's back on the island, even though he's petrified of the resurrected body, supposedly, of John Locke. Like, he's back in his home, in a manner of speaking. And so, like, he, he feels like he can uh, spin these people like the fools that they are. And so in this moment, he's able to turn Caesar in the, the wrong direction, but he is probably one of the only people that ben is able to dupe over the course of dead is dead um yeah i mean like he and caesar like are a little bit into it and caesar's like i'm caesar pleasure to meet you caesar i'm ben uh after benjamin caesar linus shows, yeah ben, <laughs> i'm ben as he looks at the camera benjamin linus uh caesar shows ben he's got this sawed off shotgun he's like if we, if we got to do anything about it i got your back so do you think ben was like oh my i mean uh oh what a new gun that i have never seen before like, that's my gun that's fred that's my gun fred uh so i i i love this i think this is great and i actually really love what they do with caesar in this episode which we we could talk about why i think that that's fun versus what happens to alana once we get to it uh but at least here in this moment um this whole thing like this guy thinks i killed him maybe we're dealing with someone who's deranged what do we do <laughs> just like getting like ben's like a uh, total like fake uh concern is is really funny because we know this is a this is a guy who's uh who who is probably concerned about the john locke situation but just like not in the way he's presenting here at all. Yeah, and I, and I like the fact that this is also Ben trying to put on a charade, right? This is a little bit of the Henry exactly. Gale aspect, right? Because Caesar obviously doesn't know who Ben is. We'll come to find out that, you know, I think uh, some of the, the Jacobians, the Jacobites out there that we're actually about to get to might have a better sense as to who Ben is. But in this moment, he can sort of be like the Oh shucks, I was just a guy that was on my way to Guam and we crashed on this island. What do you think's going on? Hey, that bald guy standing in capris in the water, he looks pretty shady, don't you think? Don't ask me, I'm just a humble, ordinary guy. Yeah, uh, and that's what he does. And Caesar's like, I got your back, man. My totally friend. got you. I've got you, my friend. Uh, so that's what's going on over there. We go to a flashback, because uh, this is a Benjamin <laughs> Linus flashback episode. And like a, a 50-year-old Michael Emerson is playing like a 22-year-old Ben. <laughs> it's like Wet Hot American Summer. It, it really is. It's not great. It's really not wet great. Wet Hot American, American Summer with an EM. You know what? If this like took you out of like giving this episode a perfect score, like I'm not gonna stand here and fight you on it. It's ridiculous. It's totally it's ridiculous. So, it's his hairs. <laughs> the hair is amazing. The, he's got the he's got the scarf too. He looks he looks like he's cosplaying like the brother from Wedding Crashers. <laughs> <laughs> oh, you mean Thomas? Uh, Aaron's That's baby true. Daddy. Actually, yeah, he's, he's yeah. the best Thomas look. Where he's like has it looks like some like an animal died and he skinned it and put it on his head. Oh no! Oh no! It's such an exceptional Michael Emerson episode, and I think at least in some part because of this too you know like uh, we should also mention an emmy winning episode this is a one that's going to net michael epperson the emmy for season five yeah i believe that the voters in like the why did you vote for this person uh section like you know you have to fill that field out for those who don't know they're like he really convinced me that he was 22 years old (laughs) he just did a really really great job (laughs) of, of being in his early 20s um wow totally worth it uh michael emerson playing a 22 year old benjamin linus for if 
for no other reason than uh, for fully obliterating Mike Bloom. Um, <laughs> just unbelievable. You can't it, even it, keep it together. It's so no, good. It's, it's, one of, it's one of the images that like has always stuck in my mind <laughs> with loss. Between that and like the, the live together diet. No, the, the man of science, man of faith, yeah. Matthew Fox. I know that one gets a lot more. And actually, it's a, a, a game of opposites, Josh, because... Man of Science, Man of Faith was the most watched episode in Lost history. This is the least watched episode in Lost history. That's so funny. And they are bookended by two of the worst wigs I've ever seen. Yeah, wig watch. We're on it. It doesn't look right. It doesn't look quite right. Uh... (laughs) Michael Emerson has so much range. If you're not watching Evil, you really should. The character he plays on that show, it's on Paramount+. Plus. The character he plays on that show makes Benjamin Linus look like the nicest guy on the planet. He's <laughs> so, so rotten. He's just such a good actor. I am to understand that he's really incredible on Person of Interest. I didn't get deep enough uh, to the show to, to really weigh in. He's obviously next level as Benjamin Linus. Is he good enough to convince you that he, as a 50-year-old man, is a 20-year-old man? Uh, Mike Bloom uh, would tell you no, I no, think. No, I can't wait to see Michael Emerson in season three of Pen15. It's just going to be incredible. <laughs> I want it very, very, very bad. Uh, and then, uh, but the, well, the, the worst part is that he's alongside Teenage Ethan. And I, teenage Ethan! <laughs> yeah. He's a creepy Ethan! Uh, yeah. I would have loved... If they put William Mapather in a wish and put him next to Emerson. Oh, no. Uh, Mike, you're slaying me today. I can't. (laughs) How am I supposed to keep a straight face through this portion of the episode recap? Uh, It's a very serious moment. We're watching Ben abduct uh, Alex. Yeah, uh, this is the day that Ben became a father uh, as he sneaks into Danielle Russo's tent. Uh, he uh, you know, points the gun at her. Don't take my Alex away. He shoots the ground next to Danielle and tells it, her to it, be grateful you're alive. Yeah, shoots her in front of a baby, too. I guess that's the first lesson he got in parenthood is don't shoot the gun right next to a child. So this is a big moment from Ben for we even talked about this last week that I wouldn't say Ben has a rule against children, because I can assume the purge took out many a child. But I think Ben just has something where, like, if he has an emotional attachment to a child, that is his soft spot in a manner of speaking. I have a bit of a question about the timeline behind all of this, though, because I would assume by the hair... Uh, and by the timing of things, that this takes place in 1988, right? Like, this is after after Alex is born, or, like, somewhere in the range of when right. e- everything happened. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The purge, I don't think, happens until a few years after this. Mm. So, is it like, did he sneak off, put on the scarf, and do this for the others? Shouldn't he still be undercover with the DI at this point? The Dharma Purge takes place on uh, December 19th, 1987, according to the Lost Encyclopedia, but it is possibly 1992 based on John Locke's dream. This is according to Lostpedia. Um, yeah, so, so that's the so, thing is like if, if you're taking the end point in that, then it, it doesn't really make much sense unless again Ben is like sneaking out for little nightly deeds. Yeah, done maybe dirt I mean cheap. like in order to do what he does, he needs to have some measure of communication with um with uh 
with the uh, with the others, right? Like you know, there's some coordination that has to occur. Uh, so if he's going out for nightly jaunts, then I guess it it tracks to some extent. Um, also also suggests though that Ethan has uh, become like a turncoat towards the uh, towards the Dharma Initiative at a very young age as well. Um, yeah. Yeah. So the other option is that the purge happened in 1987, where we saw Ben kills his dad and he has the Michael Emerson hair. And then for some strange reason, the next year, Ben says, I'm going to try something different now. This is my new look and attempts roadkill hairdo. Yeah. Uh, maybe that's another explanation. But yeah, this is a, it's a little weird with the timeline here. We're going to get into it as well with the whole Charles Widmore exile thing. Yes, for sure. Uh, so he's going to take Alex. He's going to go away. He says, I'll kill you. If you ever come looking for me, I'll kill you, is what he says. Uh, and if you ever hear whispers, you run the other way. So let's uh, talk about let's talk about this. Is this like is this him showing his heart by, you know, feeling bad for her and giving her this tip off? Is this an other thing of oh the others are in league with the whispers, so that means like oh we're permanently spooking her? This is one of the many questions I have about Ben's motives over the course of this episode. Yeah, I think that that, uh, that could be, uh, you know, uh, that could be certainly an interpretation of it, um, is that he's, like, trying to, like, watch out for her. But uh, that feels, uh, I don't know, I it, it feels a little uncharacteristic of Ben at this point to, like, be looking at. I think it's more like a word of warning of, like, don't come after me. You know, he's like, I think it's like showing his ruthlessness. Like, this feels kind of cruel. This doesn't feel like something he's trying to do to to protect somebody. Yeah, though it does seem like he is deviating from the plan right in taking Alex because he was told just go in and kill this woman, probably because she's infringing a bit on, on what we're working on here. He does not know about the baby, and I think Winmore's sort of uh, marching orders made him assume, oh, okay, I'm supposed to kill the baby as well. So maybe this is just all Ben pivoting. You know, I, I guess part of it, I think what we're supposed to be led to believe in this portion of Ben's life is that he is showing a bit more of a softer side, in my opinion, a bit more of like a, Okay, but but she she wasn't that bad. She had a baby. Like she clearly wasn't well, and that it's more so like that he has ascended through the years and sort of become the Charles Winmore position of let's not take pity on these people. No matter how many babies I have to kill, I'm going to get what I want. So I think that sort of is my perspective. Maybe it's just you know my own read is that he he maybe is trying to look out for Danielle here. That the goal was to go in and kill her and her baby. But it's he leaves with the baby and basically gives her a warning like, ah, stay away. You better stay away from me and, you know, for your own good. So I don't have to kill you. And you also uh, are not going to have any more issues with my group anymore. Yeah. Um, we also uh, should just like acknowledge him saying, if you ever hear whispers, you run the other way. It's just like another uh, severe, serious linkage between the whispers and the others, despite the the canonical answer of the whispers being those who can't move on. There is still nothing that excludes that from being linked to the others. We just never get anything that um, like concretely links them in terms of like, well, the others are using ghosts. Um, but they're, they're very clearly linked in this show. Like the fact that he is saying, if you hear whispers run the other way. Uh, and I think again, the fact that like in the new man in charge, the, the epilogue to the entire show uh, that uh, they go to Walt because there's something you can still do for your dad to help him. Um, and we know that Michael has joined the whispers 
orders, uh, and Ben is now whispering in Hurley's ear as his second in command that there's like something fundamental that just is never revealed to us as the audience, uh, as far as what the others know about the whispers. But clearly, they they know a decent amount. I bet like you just like get to talking to Sawyer at some point in season six uh, off camera. Like, hey, so you spent all that time with Juliet? Did she ever tell you anything? He's like, oh yeah, she told me that the whispers are ghosts. Yeah. Uh, the others, they, 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 and by the way, they don't call themselves the others. They call themselves the Freds. Uh, mm, exactly. They, no, they don't really have a name for. It. They don't really have a name for anything. So it's really got, frustrates like, all me. the intel. Yeah, and they just no one's asking him on this show because uh, it's irrelevant at this point. It's like, yeah, the whispers are just ghosts. They the, they work with the ghosts. They, it's it's wild. I couldn't believe it either. Uh, so th- there's definitely something there that's just like never put on the show. Uh, but I, I have uh, reached my peace with it. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Shall we go back to the present? Uh, 2007, yes. Ben is rifling through stuff on Hydra Island through his old office. My stuff. His stuff, he finds this picture of himself and Alex, because uh, obviously this is going to be a real driver for the story this week. Uh, and John Loki is going to stroll through the office and he's going to want to have a conversation with Ben. Let's listen in sound two. What's that? Just something sentimental. So this is your old office, huh? I never pictured you leading your people from behind a desk. Seems a little... corporate. Was there something that you needed, John? Well, Ben, I was hoping that you and I could talk about the elephant in the room. I assume you're referring to the fact that I killed you. Yeah. It was the only way to get you back to the island. Along with as many of those who left as possible. You do remember, John, it's why you left in the first place, to convince them to come back. But you failed. And the only way to bring them together was by your death. And you understood that. It's why you were about to kill yourself when I stopped you. If all I had to do was die, Ben, then why did you stop me? You had critical information that would have died with you. And once you'd given it to me, 
Well, I just didn't have time to talk you back into hanging yourself. So I took a shortcut. And look at you, John. I was right. You're here, you're back. So are the rest of them. I don't know where yet exactly, but they came. It worked. And that's why I did it. Because it was in the best interest of the island. I was just hoping for an apology. I've decided to help you, Ben. Help me do what? Do what you say you are on your way to do. Be judged. That's not something you want to see, John. If everything you've done has been in the best interest of the island, then I'm sure the monster will understand. Let's go. Come on, you can't tell me that Terry O'Quinn didn't, like, accidentally take a peek at the script for the incident. Like, he's playing a completely different person. I know. Uh, it's so cool. <laughs> it's just, it's so neat, uh, the way that he plays it, man. Uh, I think it's it's just, it's just exceptionally done. Uh, the whole, I just wanted an apology. Yeah, like, oh, you're flapping your gums here. Uh, you know, I, I, I just wanted something small. Or even the, the body language from when he kicks up in Ben's chair. Like, he is, it's one of these things, again, that's, like, so opaque, or I guess transparent, depending on the way you look at it, of, like, yep, I'm in charge now. Uh, I said, is this your office? And I sat down in your seat, Ben. Yeah. I am clearly the man in charge. I mean, I think it's enough of a note from, uh, you know, for, for an actor to be, like, you give zero Fs anymore. You don't you don't care about anything anymore. Uh, you are good. All of your questions are answered. Nothing bothers you. And like that's the performance that you get. Like, well, what that would mean if I'm leaning on the history that I have with this other guy that like who who used to be like a very daunting figure to me, who used to really get under my skin, is that that guy not only will never get under my skin again, but I probably get under his. Uh, so I think like the way that Terry O'Quinn plays it uh, for John Locke, uh, like if he's pretending like you know if he's playing it authentically as John Locke, I think like that really fits uh, in terms of like the way that he goes up against Ben in this scene and other scenes in the episode. But it also does just work magically, magically, uh, when you know who the character is. Uh, and that this is just like, this is the big bad. This is like the very, this is the boogeyman who's sitting mm-hmm. there and just like toying with his food. Well, I think also what is really fun about this is, correct me if I'm wrong here, right? John Locke's final thought was why the, the monster will say later on, and he's really picking up on that, I think, John Loki. He's really trying to, like, follow that line of thinking where, of course, Ben will want to explain why he did what he did. And so he really is feeding him along because Ben has the same assumption of, like, you probably want to know why I did it. Well, let me feed you all this BS to the point where Locke even calls him out on the BS. We spoke about this in the life and death of Jeremy Bentham, right, about how, yeah, Ben was fine with Locke killing himself. Or I know we no, I think actually what we settled on right was that Ben didn't want Locke dead, 
But then when he had that information, Ben then changed his mind, realized that Locke had to die. So all that stuff about how, oh, yeah, you were the big unifier. uh, That was not always the intention here. But he's able to utilize what he knows about the situation from the perspective of the man who he's impersonating to essentially, you know, uh, try to fit in where things left off. And that includes talking about, as he says, the elephant in the room. Yes, the elephant in the room uh, being that you killed me and I'm still standing, or I guess technically currently sitting. Um, I'm going to help you. I've decided to help you. Must piss off Ben so much because he's so confused. He's like, he shouldn't be alive. This is unnatural. And also now he has the gall, the unmitigated gall, to come to (laughs) me and tell me that he's going to help me here on the island? Uh, He must be both really deeply confused and furious. And of course, uh, as Alex, a.k.a. the monster, a.k.a. the person Ben is currently hanging out with, is going to tell him later in the episode, like, I know you're already planning on killing him again. Uh, Don't do that. Yeah. Uh, uh, so he just must be so, so, uh, so furious. Um, all right. So in the very next scene, it's broad daylight, and they're going to take this other outrigger to uh, the main island. Is it the other outrigger? Probably not. Uh, no, you know. I think there were there were three. Yeah, Ben's the son and Frank took one, and then they're going to take the second one. Yeah, so I don't think it is it is uh, the other outrigger. Uh, but they're going to take a outrigger and outrigger uh and they are going to be stopped by uh benjamin lioness's new best friend let's listen in sound number three hey what are you doing taking a boat where over to the main island i don't think so my friend are these your boats are they yours Caesar, right? I was under the impression these were found here, so I'm just going to borrow one. I'm happy to leave the other boat for you in case you want to follow us. Us? Are you going with him? He didn't really give me a choice. I'm sorry, but I'm calling the shots here. And I said you are not taking anything. What you are going to do is to sit down and tell us how you know so much about this island, my friend. You're in the habit of calling people friends. But I don't think you mean it. Step away from the boat. No, I'm not going to step away from the boat. I'm going to take it. And you're going to let me, my friend. You are not taking it. You're looking for this? This gentleman and I are taking a boat. Does anyone else have a problem with that? Consider that my apology. Okay, so... I love it. (laughs) What would have happened, though, if Caesar did have the gun and shot John Loki? I don't think he was ever going to get to that place. Uh, I, I think the man in black knows this. And I think that the man in black, he probably has, like, some other ways that he can, like, uh, subdue the situation. First of all, 
we're gonna we're gonna i mean i think like there's very clear loopholes within like the rule system surrounding the man in black even in the final season uh as evidenced by like everything about saeed basically in the long mm-hmm. run right um so, but one of the things that we are going to hear is like don't let him speak to you first he'll own you right um so like i think like there was probably a way that he was going to be able to even just like conversationally disarm this guy uh based on that that like he right. can just he can just sort of like uh wordsmith his way out of trouble um but the other thing could have been that he'd get shot and then he'd stand up and he'd look at Ben's like, see, I can't die, man. Right. Or or would it just be like the bullet just goes right through him? Like he just turns like, oh, whoops. Uh, you weren't supposed to know about that. And he's like, I don't die, bro. That doesn't happen for me anymore. And Ben be like, shit. Well, that sucks. Uh, but Ben takes matters into his own hands and he shoots Caesar. And I love this. I, yeah, I with, think with, with his gun. I don't know when he was able to to filch it was it like in that confrontation did ben get it from caesar while they were first having that talk yeah i think it's probably during this conversation while he's so distracted with uh with Locke. this works for me because like they are setting caesar up to be like an important character uh of the ajira crew and then for him to just get like iced right away works for me not in the same comedy level as an arsed situation, but works for me similarly because he's just like, he's just set up enough that he's somebody who you know and recognize and have a name for and have some uh, shades of a personality for at least, but has not been set up too much that he is like a full on character at this point. He could still be used as effectively a punchline to punctuate somebody else's story, to punctuate the stakes of a different story. uh, And that can be the character's, main function this guy's like walking around as if he owns the place as if he knows the place as if he is the guy to take everybody from ajira and lead them back home and lead them through this dangerous situation and he's a paper tiger he just gets shot he just gets (laughs) shot not shocked but it is a shock when ben does it i think that works because we only have caesar for what is this is third episode fourth fourth you know so like uh that's fine to me it's when you literally arsed ilana in the middle of giving her a character arc where i think we start to run into some issues yep it's it's fine i I mean i think it's a good it's a good moment for ben to just like you know like to once again show like don't mess with me when i have something on my mind Right, I think it's a reminder to us of, like, it's been a while since The Shape of Things to come. Here's what Benjamin Linus can do when he's on a mission. He will literally murder people in cold blood. Even when you said, like, the man in black had no intentions of killing Caesar. He was just going to talk him down, use the diplomacy method, it seems. Uh, ben had had other plans, and I think that just reminds us of how dangerous a character he is. In general, like, yeah, there's, no, there's nothing to Caesar for me. I know you said, like, semblances of a personality— I didn't necessarily see it, though I guess that was the point, right, that he was supposed to be a bit of, like, the Jack of Ajira, but I feel like we've seen so little of the Ajira stuff so far, right? We know that he ransacked Ben's place, he talked a bit with John Loki, he sort of, like, overthrew Frank as calling the shots, and then he gets shot. Uh, So it's fine. It's still a little awkward to me just from like the way that they set him up they're not full nicky and following him of like really pumping him up in order to bring him down in but order I guess to it also pump makes... him full of lead exactly but i guess it makes sense for like a mid-episode kill right like you said nobody's necessarily mourning caesar but it's like oh that guy's dead i did not expect that 
Yeah. See, I think it, it's fine for me because very specifically, like, you just don't have a ton from him. You have, like, just enough. Uh, and I think you give us too much more of him and then you just, like, kill him off this way this quickly, like, is probably, like, a little too far. But for me, I think it works as, like, also, like, the punchline of, like, consider that my apology, I think, is is pretty mm-hmm. good. Uh, I think it's yeah. pretty, pretty fun. Basically him saying, like, oh, I saved your life. The lock's like, you, well, uh, technically, I don't really have a life to save. <laughs> Did you? Um, all right. So, Ben and Locke, they're going to take the Outrigger. They're going to go uh, to the main island. Uh, and they are going to pull up to the dock. They are going to have, uh, I think, a a, a a great conversation that's worth listening in on, if only for the Terry O'Quinn, Michael Emerson back and forth. Let's listen in. Sound number four. Home sweet home. Looks like we're not the first ones who decided to tie up here. That'll be San and Lapidus. I showed him where the boats were, and son thanked me by smashing me on the head with a paddle. Oh. Is she the one that hurt your arm? Noticed you were favoring it on the way over. No. Someone else hurt my arm. You just make friends everywhere you go, don't you? Well, I've found sometimes that friends can be significantly more dangerous than enemies, John. Is that why you shot an unarmed man in the chest? The man was unarmed because I'd stolen his gun, the gun he was going to use to kill you. Couldn't let that happen. No sense in me dying twice, right? You're welcome. We're going to your old house, aren't we? Yes. It's the only place I can summon it. The monster. Once it arrives, I'll either be forgiven... ...or I won't. I think you're lying. Lying about what? That you want to be judged for leaving the island and coming back because it's against the rules. I don't think you care about rules. And what do I want to be judged for, John? For killing your daughter. No sense of me dying twice, right? I love the line, I don't think you care about rules, because yes, that's exactly what it is. Or less so that, and more so, Ben only cares about the rules when like he can use it for his own convenience, right? That's what he talks about with, oh, he broke the rules, and therefore I'm going to kill Penny. Uh, he can he can fit the rules to his own liking. And so Locke is going to call out Ben here to his face that Ben's going to admit later, yeah, I wasn't really coming here to being judged for for leaving the island because that's the other thing too. I mean, Ben says as he's pushing the donkey wheel, "I hope you're happy, Jacob." Like clearly, he's not so concerned with, "Oh, will the island forgive me forever leaving it and coming back?" No, it's more so I did this really terrible thing that has been weighing on my shrivel of a conscience, but a conscience at that, and I need to turn to like the only semblance of a deity i've ever had in my life to see if my soul could possibly be saved because of the blood i have on my hands not the not the massive tidal waves of blood that i have otherwise but like the meaningful blood uh that essentially i am responsible for this poor girl dying who i raised her entire life and if i can be forgiven for that yeah um 
Yeah, I mean, this is the this is the whole thing that's driving uh, Ben at this point is like he 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 gave the island everything, and then this is what the island has given him in turn: exile, years of like an embittered war, bloodbath against Charles Widmore and 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 the like, uh, and like he has found his way back here, and can he be absolved? Can he be forgiven? Can he be released of this pain? And that's not what he's going to get. He's not going to get any such absolution from anybody. Yeah. And I also want to ask about, because, you know, it's clear that Alex's death had been living rent-free in Ben's head. I mean, he obviously has been off the island for a couple of years before coming back. Do you think, like, he has this idea running in his head all along? Do you think that, you know part of the reason why he wants to come back is 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 for this particular absolution. How much do you think this idea was part of Ben's overall desire to come back to the island in the first place? I think a big piece of it. I don't think this is a lie. I I I think that like he is a human being, you know, underneath it all. Uh, like, <laughs> b- behind all the lies, the curtain of lies and all of the blood uh, that has led to this moment for this guy, he is uh, if nothing else, uh, a human being. Uh, and I think that he he mourns the loss of his daughter. I think that, like, whatever else this thing is, the monster, I think that, like, he at least has the sense that, like, it kills you if you're bad or you're against the purposes of the higher powers uh, that be. So, like, if it kills him, then he deserves to be killed. If it doesn't kill him, then he can resume his righteous path. Uh, so I think that there's, I think that there's authenticity to it. I think that, I think that this is definitely on, on his, on his mind. Um, I, I, I buy it. I, I do. I just think that like, obviously like it was never going to go the way that he wanted it to go because the monster is not just like, sort of like this, like, uh, you know, uh, ambivalent, uh, authority, right? Like the monster has skin in the game. Uh, mm-hmm. The monster, the monster has brooding interests. Uh, right. That's the not monster, what Ben the thinks monster of this and, thing. and Jacob are not working one in the same. They have, they are two sides of a, a very antiquated coin from that perspective. And I'm sure what doesn't help the case is we talked about this in uh, the Man Behind the Curtain a little bit, right? This idea of, and a little bit of, of the Man from Tallahassee too, of like Ben being resentful towards Locke for everything he was able to get that Ben wasn't. And here Locke is, from his purview, resurrected, brought back from the dead, which freaks Ben out, but also makes him think like, again, I have devoted myself to the cause, have let people die to save this island, and what has it gotten me? John Locke is a newcomer, and look what happens to him. It's ironic, right? Because this guy uh, experienced so much tragedy in his life, John Locke. But it's like, oh, everything good happens to John Locke on this island, according to Ben. And so I can imagine from a certain perspective, seeing the renewed Locke almost like pushes him forward even more of thinking, okay, I really need to do a check-in and see how much my devotion to the island is right now. Because... If it's, you know, if John Locke, this devout worshiper, is getting resurrected, I should be getting something, too. Yeah. Uh, yeah, he deserves, I don't know, he deserves something. What about me? Exactly. That's And that's, I think, an attitude that really informs this entire 2007 storyline. And so, again, that's, that makes me wonder how much of 
all of this push to get Onajira in the first place was based in this idea and how much of it was he sees John Locke is alive is like, oh, well, this is even a reason further to go see the Wizard of Oz and pushes him forward. I'm sure it's a little bit of both. But since we didn't really get that much of this specific perspective from Ben in the time off the island, I think it's an interesting way to plug in his psyche as to, you know, when he leaves in 2005 and he starts to scheme to get back. Is he thinking like, this this is something that has weighed with me for years at this point. It's something I have to to measure up to and see if it's something I can recover from. Yeah. Uh, we get to continue this story a little bit. Uh, we have another flashback to your boy, 20-year-old <laughs> Michael Emerson, Benjamin. <laughs> He's doing his best. Look, I will, I admire Michael Emerson's body language. We're like, in the presence of Whitmore specifically, like he looks a little more like hunched over. He's displaying more of that lower status, like you would get out of a Commedia dell'arte. But it is also like, and Alan Dale possesses this also to a certain extent, but it's still a little weird, right? Having these two guys be like, all right, we're, we have to play like we're like 20 years younger than we actually are. Mm-hmm. Nobody say anything, okay? Yes, uh, it's it's great. Uh, he shows up and Widmore's pissed, like, you were supposed to kill the kid. And Ben's like, it's not an id, it's a child. Uh, and they get into this fight about like, is this is this protecting the island? Is killing this baby what Jacob wants? Because if it is, and he hands Alex over to Charles Woodward, he says, then you do it. And Charles Woodward's like, ew, no, I'm not going to kill a baby. Yeah, he, no, he calls his bluff, right? And yeah. He's like, oh, yeah, if you if if you think, if you're the, the number one for Jacob right now, and if Jacob wants you to kill this baby, then go ahead. Do it right here. Show it to me. Yeah. And again, it's it's a very comparable thing to like, Locke and Ben, right? When we saw that stuff in season three of Locke walking into the camp and Ben wanting to embarrass Locke by having him try to kill Anthony Cooper in front of all the others. And of course, he knew it wouldn't work. This is a bit of what Ben does. And again, it's really interesting to see Ben also map a little bit of Charles Widmore onto himself later on. I talked about it earlier, but I do feel like this is a bit of a different side to Ben in this moment. I think he is showing a bit more humanity, but I do think that. Ben is going to take on some aspects of Charles Widmore later on, particularly this idea, right, of falsely claiming that, oh, Jacob wanted this thing to happen, and so we have to carry it out. He's going to use this tactic a lot from what we see uh, during his time in New Otherton. So I, I think it, maybe it's this idea of, like, when you become leader of the others, it's a much tougher job than you may think, and sometimes you're just going to have to utilize certain tactics, even it's, if it's from one of your worst enemies. Yeah. Uh, In 2007, uh, Locke and Ben are together as they're uh, making their way into the barracks. Uh, Making my way to the barracks. (laughs) Making my way downtown. Uh, They're going to, they're asking like, so who killed all these people? Whose idea was that? Did you want to do that? Seems like a totally like a a you thing, not like an island thing. Um, Yeah, I mean, like... Would Jacob have just been like, yeah, kill off the whole Dharma initiative? That oh, sounds yeah, good. Cer- if you have certain listeners, maybe. But we talked yeah, about this. He's probably like, yeah, sure, okay, let me just uh, check, 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 check. Whoa, that seems intense. Yeah, it's what they want. All right, well, if it's what the people want, check. You know, yeah, like, or, or it's this idea of him being like, oh, well, the Dharma initiative is a nuisance. Like, get rid of them by any means possible. Like, oh, great, any means possible. Will we murder them all? Yeah. What? What did you, oh, you said by any means possible? Yeah. Okay. 
man, you guys take things intensely around here. Um, so they show up, Alex's room, the light goes on, maybe go and check that out. And inside, Ben's going to go in, he'll find Son and Frank. And I know yeah. that, like, maybe we've got some questions here about, like, the timing, right? Like, because, like, Christian was with Son and Frank at this point. Uh, right. But and Locke told is them, here and with told Ben. Them, wait. And so then he goes across to be with Ben, because I'm assuming that... Up until this moment, Locke has nef- not left Ben's side. Uh, so it's it, there's a little bit of timey-wiminess going on. It should also be mentioned, and I think this speaks to how much this episode looms in the shadow of The Shape of Things to Come, that New Otherton is left in the state of havoc that it was in The Shape of Things to Come, to the point where we're walking through Ben's house and we see the risk game. Uh, we see these sort of like crystallized state that things were left and it's almost a reminder to ben about how much of a seminal moment that was that it it almost was like preserved in amber uh to almost taunt ben in that moment about just how important of a moment that was when he lost control and was wrong yeah um i think that there's you know now with uh on the other side of dead is dead uh, and the other side of Namaste. Um, how do you connect how Christian was able to be with Son and Frank and Locke is able to be here? Uh, there's a couple, there, there was, I think we talked about like, is this the next night? I think that like you could, you could game that out to a certain degree. Christian Shepard shows Son and Frank uh, a picture of all these people back in the 70s and like son is then going to continue to just like rifle through all of the things that she can at the barracks over the course of the next 24 hours looking for like no way oh my god look he just won like the the burger eating contest of 1975 <laughs> you know like going through and like seeing all the stuff like sure fine headcanon it that way i think another way would be that it's it's all taking place on the same night uh and as uh as ben and Locke are making their way towards the barracks, uh, you know, straggling behind Son and Frank. John Locke, uh, though apparently impervious to death, may not be immune to having to use the potty. So he's like, Mm. Ben, you stay here. I got to go and do my business. Uh, Just stay put. And then he smoke monsters his way to the barracks. He plays around as Christian Shepherd for a minute. I think think it's got to be the first. I think it's like, you know, a Jira crash. Day one, Ben sneaks off. Son hits him with an oar. Night one, Son and Frank arrive oar. at the at, arrive at the barracks. Ben is recovering, wakes up to Locke. Day two, Son and Frank just hanging out. This is when Caesar's death happens, and then night two is when this scene happens. So I just got I gotta feel like Son and Frank were just sort of sitting around for that day, just waiting for for something to happen. Because otherwise, yeah, it, it really doesn't make much sense, especially with the bippin' and the boppin' on behalf of the smoke monster. Yeah, I think so. Uh it's it's whatever. It's a little it's a little clumsy. It's a little wonky. I think like for people who have issues with some of this stuff in this episode, uh like I I do think like the timey wiminess of this. I'm not mad if people are like that's not great. Like it is a it is a little klutzy when so much else is uh I feel like very very carefully done. Yeah. Um, so Sun's going to show Ben the stuff from Namaste, right? The 77 yeah. Dharma recruit photo. So, again, this also goes back to what we talked about with the time travel of, like, oh, is there an idea that when things change, it gets created in the timeline in that moment? Because do you think Ben just, like, never saw this photo before? Because I can imagine he sees Jack Shepard and is like, 
that guy looks a lot like that guy from that Dharma photo I have hanging up, you know, in my house. What's going on here? Right. Um, I don't know that, uh, I don't know. I think like, you have to accept that Benton doesn't know this stuff. Um, I think you have to accept that, like, he doesn't, you know, he doesn't remember being shot by Saeed. He doesn't remember that these guys were in the Dharma Initiative. He never connects that these guys go back in time. Because uh, if he knows that stuff, I think it's really hard to explain some of his other actions. Uh, yeah. But I think that it's not hard to explain that Benjamin Linus is such a callous guy that he never really studied the faces of the people in the Dharma Initiative from the 1970s, you know, and, like, mm. linked them to the people that he spends time with for a couple of months on his, like, final tenure on the island. Here's, a, here's an explanation. Is his dad in the recruit picture? Um, I don't know. Because I I'd could imagine that, that would, those would be pictures that, yeah. he would want to avoid, right? Of like, I don't want to look at my father's face anymore. I had to look at that for so many years in my life. I would I want to look at it in picture form. Yeah, he might not be thrilled about that. Um, but uh, Frank's going to tell him a crazy man named Christian told us to come here and wait for John Locke. And considering he's dead, I'm not holding my breath. Uh, well, look outside. There's John Locke. I think that line gives you like, yeah, they were here for like a day just waiting. Yeah, and I because I because I think Frank's a little like jumpy at this point. I will say I know we we love using the the gingif for just like the very casual wave. I unfortunately feel like John Loki in this episode could be another really great casual wave that just has gone unused as a gif. Yeah, maybe it's the the lighting. You know, it's, mm. a, it's a little darker, a little harder to see. Um, yeah, because I just I just love like the oh hello there type of uh, body language there. in the way. Oh hello John, hello John. Uh, so the next scene, uh, it's it's John Locke in quotes with son, uh, and Locke's like, yeah, yeah look, uh, I'm alive. And so it's like, how is that possible? He's like, I don't know, but I think I'm sure. You know, I'm sure there's a reason. Yeah, and uh, I love the the cinematography. They open the episode or they open this act on solo silent shots of John Loki then Son, then Ben, then Frank. You know, Lost is a show that doesn't necessarily sit in its silences, but I really enjoy it because there are just so many questions from this quartet, or at least three out of the four people, that I like sitting in that awkward silence for a portion of time of, like, everyone's really confused as to what the hell's going on in 2007. Yes. Uh, there's a lot of questions here as they're trying to figure out what's going on. Uh, but he says, like, I'm sure there's a reason. And if your son, uh, if, if son, if your husband, rather, if Jin, uh, if you want to be reunited with him, I'm all the help that you're going to need. I've got some ideas for what we could do. Uh, yeah. and Frank's like, oh, this doesn't sound great, son. We should probably go back, fix the radio and get off the island. She's like, if there's a chance, then it's the reason I'm here. So he's like, ah, man, all right, watch your back. I got to get out of here. Yeah, and then good on Frank. Frank's sort of Desmond's here, right, in 316 of like, I'm not going to be any part of this malarkey. Let me get out of here. Frank's a good wingman to a certain extent, but like he also values, I think, his own hide. And it's just like something spooky. Let me get the hell out of here. It's a little too spooky. Yeah, and you might think, like, son, what are you doing? But remember, the only reason son wanted to go back to the island in the first place is for Jin. So it wouldn't make sense for her to turn her back on that opportunity. Yeah, uh, so that's what's going to go on there. Um, ben wants to take care of something first. He goes into his special little dirty room. Yeah, this is where we actually get to see it, right? Because before it was just Ben disappearing behind the bookcase. But now I will say the set design, because I think this is one of the first times that we start to get to see the 
more archaic aspects of the island. And I will say the set design in both this and especially the confrontation with the monster, I think, is just really well done in terms of just design aspects. And so to see, like, the desiccated, almost ruin-like walls to, you know, what's going to become a a major foreshadowing for how this series is going to end, Josh, a pool of water where the plug needs to be pulled out and water needs to drain inside of it. It's the cork. You know, corks all over the place. We had no idea that corks would be so important. Uh, it's a very corky show. Uh, so he's going to, he like, then like whispers as the thing is draining. He goes, I'll be outside. Yeah. And again, it's like it's he's a, talking to his dog. <laughs> like, oh, you'll, I'll, um, uh, come find me. I'm going to be around the corner. And that's, it's more so like he uh, was seeing a friend at like a concert and the friend got caught up in a conversation like, okay, I'm going to go be by the taquito stand if you want to go find me later. Though, of course, you know, irony of all ironies, Ben's going to find say later on in season six, oh, yeah. I thought I was summoning it, but it was summoning me. So to see, again, Ben really suckered in at this point yep. being like, ah, yes, I summon you, oh, powerful genie of the lamp to please grant my wishes uh, when really the genie's been there the entire time. And in fact, has been the one manipulating him to go into this very dirty chamber and stick his head into some murky ass water just for his sake. Um, in the past, uh, Ben and Alex are playing together. He's pushing her on the swing set when Richard Alpert comes to Ben and says the sub is about to leave. Uh, you don't have to see him off, but Ben insists, yes, I do. It is Charles Widmore's farewell to the island. Let's listen in. Sound number five. Charles. came to say goodbye. No, you didn't. You came to gloat. No, don't act as if I wanted this. You brought this on yourself. Are you quite certain you want to do this, Benjamin? You left the island regularly. You had a daughter with an outsider. You broke the rules, Charles. And what makes you think you deserve to take what's mine? Because I won't be selfish. Because I'll sacrifice anything to protect this island. You wouldn't sacrifice Alex. You're the one who wanted her dead, Charles. Not the island. I hope you're right, Benjamin, because if you aren't, and it is the island that wants her dead, she'll be dead. And one day, you'll be standing where I'm standing now. You'll be the one being banished. And then you'll finally realize that you cannot fight the inevitable. I'll be seeing you, boy. To be fair, you can fight the inevitable if you are Iron Man. Uh-huh. Yeah. Uh well, can't well you can, but but you, know, you have to make a sacrifice. There's a big but. There's a very big but involved in uh in that comparison. Uh fare thee well, Charles Woodmore. I love this scene. Very haunting. Just the yeah. I'll be well, seeing you, boy. Yeah, the boy is interesting because I think you regard you regard Michael Emerson and Alan Dale to almost be like contemporaries. I don't know how much older Alan Dale is than Michael Emerson, but we find out through this episode, right, that Charles Winmore was very much Benjamin Linus's senior. That it was more so this like upstart kid comes in with a bunch of newfangled ideas and overthrows him as leader of the island. That's a very different situation than John Locke 
walking in and able to convince people like, no, I'm the one who talks to Jacob, not Ben. It's a very different situation. So Widmore's attitude here is is a big peek into who he is as a character as well, right? You you now see why he's going to want to come back to the island all these years later, because as he tells Ben, you took what's mine, uh, which I think is BS. I think a lot of this is BS that he happens to be correct about, right? Like, I think he's completely talking it out of his ass when he says, oh, yeah, one day you'll be banished and the island will kill Alex if it wants to. Right. I think correlation is not necessarily causation here, but I think when it does happen, this moment lives rent-free in Ben's head of like, oh, man, was that the island? wanting me to sacrifice all this for the betterment of the cause. Yeah, but I think it's also like, it's a little bit of a like, uh, uh, it's like a, it's a conversation about karma to some degree as well, right? Like, I think like he's saying to like, uh, to, to Ben to some degree, like, you're rotten, you're awful, and one of these days that's going to catch up to you. Uh, like mm. you can, you can like, uh, like Jedi mind trick me off this island and feel as good about that as you want. Like you can steal the throne if that's going to make you feel big. Uh, but one day the throne is going to fall out from under you. You're not supposed to be in that chair. That's my seat. Uh, and you know, like that last part is probably the piece where like it's extreme, like the narcissism and the ego is, uh, is like winning out over the salient point he's otherwise making, uh, of like, you know, when you're, when you're ruthless, uh, you know, there will be consequences. Collateral damage. You know, whether or not that's like, um, and unfortunately, like when some people are ruthless, there aren't consequences and that sucks and that's terrible. Um, but I think like to some extent, like the consequences, at least of like, you will never be truly loved. You will never be truly happy. You will be empty. There are things you will, you will not be at peace. Uh, and then I think that there's also like, there will be literal consequences in this case. Like the, the, the chicken's dam will come home to roost. Um, I think it's I think it's a powerful commentary on like the Benjamin Linus tactics and how he was due for some sort of really hard fall based on the way that he lived his life and ran his shop. Um, mm. I think that like the act, you know, like if you're taking it as like the literal predictive qualities, like I think that that is, you know, a little bit more of like a uh, that's a that's that's a, a bigger mouthful to swallow. But I yeah. think that the ideas <laughs> underneath it uh, and how they apply to someone like Ben I think are valuable uh, to have on the show. Well, I think it's also a really great introspection as to, especially when we see how everything ends with Hurley about how neither Ben nor Winmore are the guardians of the island. You know, I, I think it's a really interesting idea that you have these guys stepping in saying, no, I'm the leader because I know what's best. And then it turns out all along the correct leader of the, the island was someone who not necessarily didn't want it all along, but at least like it fell into their lap more so than them voraciously pursuing it. It's this idea of, oh, if you're the one selfishly going for it, then you don't necessarily deserve it. It's very much like the Willy Wonka approach, right? right. Charlie doesn't inherit the factory because he was uh, avarishly appealing to Willy Wonka, uh, you know, or, or letting his greed take over. It was more so like his true self shone through. And all of these men had their truth shine through. But in the case of Widmore, right, it seemed like he was taking it by force if we're led to sort of connect the events between 
Jughead and now with Ben, he also ended up taking it by force. And it turns out the answer is not necessarily like grabbing the scepter and saying it's mine, but more so pulling the sword from the stone and saying, okay, it's a gentle hand that will rule the land here. So it's also a really fun thing in retrospect as to why neither one of these men do not ultimately work as leaders because ironically enough, they wanted it too much. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes you can want to think too much and that's not great. Um, in the present, Ben is going outside. He's waiting for the monster to show up. Um, and this is the, the dead is dead conversation that the episode gets its title from. His son is asking Ben a couple of questions about like, so Jack had to have lied about Locke being dead. There's like no other way this was possible. And Ben looks her in the eye and goes, Oh no, no, he was dead for I, I am sure. He basically does everything except say, I choked him myself with my bare hands. So basically he, say, he I died. know, I, I know what I happened. I killed him. I did that. Uh, I, it was me. I did it. Uh, so, you know, like he like, like really sells it and son has further questions for Ben and then he's going to give us the speech, which is really the tell. Um, let's listen in sound number six. So you knew this would happen to Locke if we brought him back here? Son, I had no idea it would happen. I've seen this island do miraculous things. I've seen it heal the sick. But never once has it done anything like this. Dead is dead. You don't get to come back from that. Not even here. So the fact that John Locke is walking around this island scares the living hell out of me. <laughs> I love it because this is like the first factually truthful yeah. thing I think he said this entire episode. Yeah, I just wish he said scares the living shit out of me. Like, just go for it. You know, yeah, on exactly. a different like, screw, show. Screw, he screw just the like, rating it, system, ABC. Yeah, <laughs> screw the rating system, man. Who knows if it's even real? So you think uh, he'd be like, scares the fuck shit out of me, son. <laughs> Just like drops that bomb. <laughs> I mean, like, yeah, you know, it's like it's, this is terrifying, man. Like, this is not supposed to happen. This is not supposed to go down. Um, yeah, uh, it's really not great. Um, and like, this is the thing. Like, the show is telling you, like, you're not supposed to come back from being killed. And, like, later on in the season, like, the show will be like, don't worry, like, we're not violating that rule. It's just, you didn't, yeah. it's, it, we didn't do the thing. No one, dead is dead. Whatever happened, yeah, we, happened. We, we, we there told are you rules. That. We're not violating title. them. Yeah. I, the, the really complicated thing about this, too, is, so Ben's perspective as to why he is so scared is multifaceted. A, because like you said, this has never happened before, and I think something genuinely new mystifies him after all the time and all the stuff he knows about this island. B, it happened to John Locke, which, as I mentioned before, furthers this agenda in his head about how John Locke is the special one, the chosen one. He can even come back from the grave, which I thought was impossible. But also, C, think about it, Ben. If John Locke could come back from the dead, 
Who's to say other people you killed can't come back from the dead? Right. And if that's the case, you have a lot to answer for, my friend. So I'm, I'm sure there is a non-zero chance that Ben is also imagining, like, he wakes up and Kimi, with all the stab wounds in his body, is standing above him, right? Saying, welcome to the land of the living. He's going to have this encounter with Alex later on. Like, Ben is responsible for the murders of so many people on this island. The idea that they can come back, I think understandably frightens him yes yes because like can you imagine like the fabled zombie season of lost season seven that darlton used to joke about all the time uh a lot of people if these zombies don't just crave brains but crave the brains of the one who put them in the ground in the first place Ben has to Ben has to really hope that he's got a pretty secure thing going down in uh you know one of his little hidey holes because he's in huge trouble. He's killed so many people. Yeah, so and that's the thing is that I I think dead is dead is also a philosophy that I think Ben wants to believe in as well, right? He wants to believe in this finality of I have so many problems, if I cross them off my list there's no chance that you're going to uncheck that box. If there is a chance, that immensely complicates things for Ben because he has done so much murder to further his... He's done so much murder! (laughs) To further his own agenda. When those people are able to come back, what does that mean for him? It means that, like, what was it all for from that perspective, too, right? Because if he killed people... To at the behest of the island to further the cause, if they're coming back to life, it means the island isn't done with them. If the island isn't done with them, then why did he do the things that he did? It it brings up, I'm sure, a lot of questions for this guy, which is another reason why seeing John Locke walking around is something that is just, like, absolutely astounding to him. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, so it's, uh, it's a, it's a daunting prospect for sure. Uh, so he hears some noises and he tells son, maybe you want to go inside for this next part. And she's like, okay, why? And he goes, well, whatever comes out next is not something I can control. And it's John Locke. And that is so good on <laughs> right there. It was right on there. so many levels. It's right there. It is, it is, it is so fair. It's right there. It's right there. He summoned the monster, and out comes the monster. It's right there. It's so rewarding on the replay. Um, It is so rewarding on the replay. There he is. That's the guy. That's the guy I told you about. And not only that, he's going to come in with that swagger. Right? Ben's going to be like, oh, he's not showing up. He's like, don't worry. I know where he lives. I know his home. You don't know his address, but I do. So just follow me. It's good on the front run, Mike, because he's not able to control this version of John Locke. And in fact, he's going to be instructed to never try. Uh, so on like the, the push to the end of the season from this moment forward, like that is helpful. That's instructive for where we're trying to go with the final push of the incident. Um, but then it is so great on, uh, on second blush when you know what it really means. It's like, yeah, he can't, that's the man in black. That's the smoke monster. He can't control that. Yeah, and also, when he says, oh, yeah, I know where he is, it's because it's him. He knows where he is. He's right there. Yeah. Uh, I don't know. You know, this thing isn't a a train. It doesn't run on a schedule, Ben tells Locke. He says, I only know how to summon it. And Locke goes, okay, well, don't worry. I know how to find it. Yeah, because it's me. I'm Yeah. And then Locke's going to go on to tell Sun, like, yep, I know this is weird, but don't worry. I'm the same man I've always been. 
Uh, the lie detector test, Maury determines that as a lie. I mean, when he says to her, I'm the same man I've always been, he's not saying, I'm John Locke. Yeah, John Locke is not the same man he's always been, but I, the man in black, have been. But even beyond that, because if we start to play the game where everything that the man in black says can be, like, read as the truth, we will lose that game. uh, Because there's certain things that he's going to say to Sun specifically along the way that's just, like, flat out not the truth. Like, he will lie. Uh, Further instructions, there's going to be some lies. The incident, there will be lies. And here, there are lies. Um, That's the man in black. He's a mischief maker. He's a trickster. He's not to be trusted. This guy is evil incarnate. He is the badman. Uh, he is not to be believed. Uh, so it's fun when there's the double entendre. Like, that's great. I love the double entendre in here. But if there are violations to the double entendre rule, uh, well, to quote a certain someone, I don't think you care about rules. You mm-hmm. know, like, I don't think he gives a crap about that. He's going to lie through his teeth. He'll do anything. He's going to put all of these people on a submarine with a backpack filled with explosives so that they can all yeah, sink so like, and well, die. I can technically kill him. The bomb did. You know, like, so, like, this dude lies. Exactly. Uh, this game uh, it, uh, has, uh, this, it was programmed by three masters, and it cheats, you know? Like, this exactly. dude cheats. It's, it's not like Ben who's like, well, uh, I didn't, you know, I didn't go to John, uh, or John didn't come to me, I came to him, so therefore I was telling the truth. He doesn't give a crap. He's gonna lie to your face. He's not Ben trying to maintain this double talk in order to earn trust. He's not like, oh, you should have seen all along, Ben. No, this is a guy who is always able to lie, cheat, and steal without any sense of, like, it was for the greater cause or anything. It was just because he's evil yeah, he's and because he has dude. a greater agenda. He's a bad guy, you know? Uh, and back to that uh, the from Enter 7-7, it's, uh, it's, uh, it was programmed by three masters and it cheats. Uh, it's not for nothing that the monster has three main likenesses. The Titus Welliver man in black, the the John Terry Christian Shepherd man in mm. black, and the Terry O'Quinn John Locke man in black. It's yeah, it's a, the uh, it's like the Cerberus, the three-headed attack dog. And they the talk about Cerberus, right? Like that's on the uh I think that that was a code name for the monster uh, yeah. on the on the Blastor map. So it's almost like they had some ideas of what they were doing here. You know, maybe not all the way through, but a lot of it they did. Some uh, idea. So at least let's- a couple. Let's go to the marina here, Josh, for the temporary, like, brief actitis of, like, oh, my God, is Penny dead? Yeah. A quick flyover as uh, Ben's going to be at the marina uh, calling one more. Hey, I just want you to know that I'm looking at your daughter. I'm looking at our mutual friend right now. That's the name of the ship that your daughter is on, and I'm going to kill her. Bye. Yeah, well, Ben, I mean, Ben really gloats here, right? Which I think is, is really fun that, again, if he has this comment in his head of their last conversation where Ben basically says... Uh, you know, Charles Winmore tells him, you're going to be exiled as well. Ben's going to tell him, where you failed, I'm going to succeed, right? Even though Ben is exiled, he still is going to one-up Charles Winmore at the end of the day. He's not like Charles Winmore. It also is notable, actually, ironically enough, the very marina that they filmed this beatdown at is the marina backdrop for the yep. infamous photo from Flash oh, yeah. Before Your Eyes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I've been here. Uh, this is in Honolulu. I've been to this place. Uh, no big deal. Uh, so, so you think Penny and Desmond were like, oh, this looks a lot like that backdrop. Yeah. I think we should hang out here. It's I think we should be here for a while. Um, so Ben and Locke are walking around. Uh, Locke's like, you don't love uh, that you don't know what's going on, do you? You don't love blindly following someone around, right? 
Yeah. Now you know what it was like when it was me. Uh, and I think that this is this is an honest statement from John Loki uh, when he says, I don't like blindly following someone around. I don't like moving mm. forward without the answers. That's not something that I even like. Uh, and I would like to resist that. I would like to break the chain there. I don't want to be under the thumb of that anymore. Um, I think that, you know, and we will get to it uh, fairly shortly from now, because once again, this is your periodic reminder that we will watch Across the Sea as the prologue for the final season. We will watch Across the Sea as our first episode recap after the incident before LAX, because I think it serves as a prologue for season six and is very instructive to a lot of the conversations that we're going to want to have there. We want it very front of mind. But that's like what you come to find out about this guy is like he was questioning the way things had to be. Uh, Mm -hmm. Why does this have to be like that? Why does this have to be like that? Um, Why aren't you telling me? Why aren't you giving me the full picture? Why do I not get to have all of the information? Why can't I have a say in the matter? These questions and these impulses on their own are not only uh, not bad, but are healthy, you know, very, very healthy. It's like the the dark perversion of the heart that goes along with it that is not so great. Uh, and the things that happen over the course of uh, this this entity's like thousands year old life uh, that are that are not fantastic. But the the sentiment, uh, I understand. And I think that he's now like trying to like play to Ben, especially with what's going to happen next of like, you know, uh, we're very similar, you and I, you know, like yeah. classic supervillain stuff. Well, that's the thing is, I think so. The man in black is conning Ben right now, right? It, it's it's the long con. It's trying to get him to do his own work, thinking it was his own idea. And so I think that when it comes to the best con artist, James Ford included, you see a bit of yourself in your mark because the best con artists, I think, understand humanity and I think are able to tap into those empathetic senses. And so from that perspective, yeah, I think the man in black is is doing a great job here being able to tease along Ben because, as you said, he's been in Ben's shoes before. He's been in that perspective of being frustrated, of feeling like you're under someone's thumb, but also like you're not allowed to look at the other fingers either. You're just meant to do as you're told and just live with that role and be happy. I think he absolutely sympathizes with that. And while he is speaking, I think, from his own perspective here, too, it also allows him to see how frustrated Ben is getting so that when he does take the guise of, quote-unquote, the island talking to Ben, he's able to to manipulate that and say, oh, I, I know you feel like you don't know the answers, so let me feed you an answer. Of course, the answer coming from the great monolith that is the island as to what you need to do. Certainly not serving a malevolent purpose or anything, causing you to do uh, something grandiose and absolutely shocking. No, no, no. This is the answer. I know you like to know stuff. Yeah. You love to know stuff. And doesn't this suck that you don't know everything? It's like, yes, I don't like it. Uh, they get to the temple, the, the wall around the temple. Yeah, and, we, and, we should, and we should also say that this is, so I'm trying to remember, Locke knows this location? No. Yeah, so that's another thing where you should be like, oh, Unless okay. they gave him, did like did they say like meet us here? This is where we're going, but I don't think so. Uh, I don't think that he he got that information in season three, and he certainly like things you know like he like blipped away in time at the end of season four before he could get that information from anybody yeah. else. The only person who knows this location right now is Jin. 
outside of the others because Jin was here when Montan got his arm ripped off right uh, in this place's death but yeah Locke does John Locke the character does not know about this so this is again a little bit of a red flag of okay either Locke has been given some communal information from the island or this ain't John Locke right correct uh so he takes him here uh and uh, uh Ben is going to say this is where I was taken as a boy this is where the island healed me uh, uh not Locke is going to say well let's hope it's generous uh, again this time around uh and so it's the wall that surrounds the temple but they are going underneath it uh and uh that's uh going to cue Ben telling him uh or he asks son right he says if uh, if if you ever see Desmond Hume again tell him I'm sorry for what he'll know and so shall we as we flash back to the marina sound number 7 hey what are you doing here? Desmond? Desmond? Des? Don't move. Not another word. Hello, Penelope. My name is Benjamin Linus. I'm sorry that you're caught up in the middle of this thing, but your father... My father and I have absolutely no relationship whatsoever. Your father is so a whatever... really terrible human being. He's responsible for the killing of my daughter. That's why I'm here. Mommy! Charlie, go back inside, babe. Go back inside. Please. Please, whatever you do, don't hurt my son. Please don't hurt my son. Mommy! Mommy! Charlie, go inside! So where do we put this on the Benjamin Linus beatdown again? <laughs> I think. Where do you want to put this? Okay, so it's I... not it's not him. Uh, it's not Jack kicking the crap out of Ben because that's just like that's so iconic, right? Um, is is it above or below Baby Benjamin Linus getting shot though? I think it's below. I yeah. think it's probably I think it's just below. Yeah, I think it's just below, just below the surface of the water. Because I don't. Yeah. I think it's probably the most damage he sustains. And good on Desmond for really laying it into him, especially with a bullet inside his body. But at the same time, we talked about this during He's Are You. Like the ending of Baby Ben Linus getting shot has so much meaning with Saeed. It obviously sets forward a series of events as well. Like I really appreciate this beating. For what it was. And to that point, Josh, I might say this might be my favorite scene of the episode. And I don't think I realized it until I was listening to it back right now. Talk to me about why. Let's let's hear it. Because well, I, I really like, as much as I said that I, I'm still sort of uh, about the Desmond storyline in, in season five, particularly how much he comes and goes and is basically a guest star. I really like this scene from a Ben perspective, because ever since the end of The Shape of Things to Come, right, he coldly threatens Winmore, you kill my daughter, so I'm going to kill yours. But it's so interesting to hear Michael Emerson's performance as Ben is finally about to face this moment, right? Like, you can hear it 
in his voice, there is quaking emotion that I did not expect. Because again, as we said, Benjamin Linus has killed a lot of people. But here, he is showing a very different side of himself. He is flashing back to that sort of like more timid, less uh, follically obsessed man that we saw in an earlier flashback, more unsure of himself, seemingly more of a heart for the people that he is holding a gun to at this point. Even before young Charlie comes out, like he is apologizing to Penny for what he has to do. You could hear in his voice, in my opinion, that this is something that Ben, despite calling his shot, doesn't necessarily want to do now that it's actually happening. Yeah. And maybe it's because the emotion of what happened with Alex is catching up with him now, and he, he's realizing that you know either he doesn't want to do this, or maybe those emotions are flooding in. It's also a really great callback. I know there's some questions as to, like, why do we need to, to show the origin of Alex in this episode? But it really comes out here. It's almost like, uh, you know, uh, Sawyer's first episode when we, ha- Confidence Man, yeah. when we have like the story uh, of what Ben experienced as a kid. It's clear that I think he has a soft spot in his heart for traumatizing the young youth, as it were. Some people like Ethan are, are so far gone, but considering the perversion that he underwent as a young kid, I can understand it to a certain extent that when he sees little Charlie, it gives him enough pause to not shoot his mother in time to essentially save her life. So I think it's a really interesting move on Ben's part. And the the read that I like to give it is that I think when Ben actually steps up to the bat here, I think he chokes a little bit. And I think it's for a, a various amount of reasons, both how Ben is digesting Alex's death and his so-called revenge plot and also the way he might connect seeing a young Charlie to the young baby that he stole away from Danielle Rousseau once upon a time. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think uh, this is like, you know, he he's like faced with this thing that he's been questing towards for a long time. But also, like, he had made that threat to Widmore. And like, you know, it's not like he is here face to face with Penny after painstakingly tracking her down. Desmond just kind of showed up. You Mm -hmm. know, and so like this opportunity kind of just presented itself. And so these two things are colliding at the same time, returning to the island and vengeance against Widmore. And it's like Ben does not have the capacity to carry these two things. Uh, And I think like faced with this moment, um, like some measure of like the boy who uh, who the boy who lived before he was <laughs> shot by Saeed, uh, who uh, ironically enough looks Harry Potter-esque, uh, you know, was uh, was coming back out to be like, no, don't do that. That's not cool. Don't do that. Uh, and he, yeah, luckily he chokes. Thank God he right. chokes. Well, so let's talk about that, because this came up a bit in 316 as well, and they really lampshade this in this episode, to the point where, as you mentioned before, Ben tells Son, apologize to Desmond Hume for me, and you're like, okay, he killed Penny. That's why he has to apologize to Desmond. Luckily not, but I think this just continues that, answers that mystery of, why was Ben all bloodied up? Not because he killed Penny and was, like, bathing in her blood, but more so because he got his ass farkest. Uh, because he he let his guard down and allowed Desmond to just com- defend his family, defend his honor, and just absolutely send Brent sprawling. Yeah, kicks his butt. It's dope. 
<laughs> it's great. It's a really great scene. Uh, super wild scene. Uh, so that happens. Also, just the camera work of Ben sailing oh, through the ocean. Yeah, that, that last shot is incredible. The shot of Ben being thrown floating in the water, just like streams of blood trailing out from him. It's just, it's an incredibly well done shot. Yeah, the fact that he uh, is able to like flee the scene at all is pretty amazing. Uh, Though I would know, imagine that Desmond and Penny probably like, unanchored and like immediately left harbor yeah well right? he as goes as you him. know he's going straight to the hospital right you know like oh that's true yeah yeah they gotta rush him in um all right so back at hydra island frank shows up he's like all right time to get back to work gotta get this plane going and then alana and a bunch of others they roll up to him and uh they're like hey so uh you know that the that that thing that lies in the shadow of the statue and frank goes no and she goes cool and then knocks him out Yep, so uh, this is unfortunately uh, who Frank's hanging out with for the time being. And I think this is the first confirmation, right, that Alana is not just the bounty hunter we experience in He's Are You? Yes, yes. Uh, this is going to be the extent... I, this, this is the crew he's with for the rest of the season. Yeah, this is the terrific crew. Yes, yes, yeah. He's stuck with these guys. Uh, and I know, like, this is a little bit of a turn. Uh, we're with the Alana crew at this point, Mike. Yeah, so, and now we start to find out, oh, yeah, there's more to her than meets the eye. And I think, I guess it's a good job if you're talking about introducing new characters to prune Caesar and hype up Alana of, okay, these were mysterious new characters. One of them is nothing. One of them is much more than meets the eye. Yes. Uh, Alana, of course, especially. Uh, but we'll we'll hang out with Bram a little <laughs> bit, you know. We'll hang out with some of these people. We'll certainly hang out more with Bram next week. Yeah, uh, he shows Bram up. Bram in the van. Bram in the van. Um, yeah, maybe if like they knew who Ben was, like they they probably should have acted a little faster. These guys, you know, would have probably been the right thing to do. Um, anyway, underneath the temple, as Ben and Notlock are walking around, Ben is telling him, "So you're right, by the way. I am being judged for what happened to Alex. Uh, I am responsible for her death, and I have to to answer for that. Thank you for leading me this far. I'll take it from here." Uh, he falls into a hole. Mm-hmm. And that's uh, the thing is again it's it it very much shows the theming of this episode, which is Ben feeling like thank you, John, but I'm perfectly fine on my own, and then he falls flat on his face, and uh, it shows that clearly he it, even though he has returned to what he thinks is his home, his home is not necessarily the position of power that he once thought. It was. He is not the head of household in that regard. He does not have that key and that fun mix CD and snacks galore. But in this moment, he's thinking like, all right, this is new for me, but don't worry, John. I know this like the back of my head. And then he falls through the floor. He falls through the floor, the floor. Uh, uh, he falls through it. And John Locke says, hang tight. I'll go get something. And he disappears. And so this is so fun. This is like Bugs Bunny <laughs> shit. You know, this yeah. is like... Well, he's he, going to disguise himself like, oh, you Pretty much, right? I mean, that's effectively what he's doing. He like, he, he crawls away from the hole. He... Toop, 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 smoky, 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 smoky. Go through the little, little crevasses in the temple. B- b- puff your way out from this little mesh grating in front of the Anubis. <laughs> yeah, the, I, I always compare that to like the Play-Doh thing when you squeeze it through to make the spaghetti strands. Mm-hmm. 
Mm-hmm. Yes, 100%, except you're making smoky strands. And the smoky strands show up, and they flood the ground all around Ben. It envelops him, makes him see his whole life. He has to see all of it, the good, it, the bad, it, everything that's beautiful about Alex. Scenes. Everything that's bad. Yes. It, uh, if, if you remember, people are like, oh, where did that scene come from where she says, like, I hate your guts? Oh, that's actually from a deleted scene from I Do. So he's even making uh, Ben watch the extended features from the DVD. He's got to sit down and binge the whole thing. And he's just, you know, Michael Emerson's just standing there crying. And then uh, Alex will show up after the monster retreats. So this the monster's putting in work, uh, mm-hmm. getting real, uh, a real cardio workout here, Mike, as, uh, as Locke uh, shuffles away, comes back in monster form, monsters away, comes back as Alex will have the following scene, which will include both Alex and Locke as we listen to Sound 8 to carry us through the rest of the episode. Daddy? Alex. Hi, Dad. Oh, Alex. I'm so, so sorry. It was all my fault. (laughs) I know. Listen to me, you bastard. I know that you're already planning to kill John again. And I want you to know that if you so much as touch him, I will hunt you down and destroy you. You will listen to every word John Locke says, and you will follow his every order. Do you understand? Say it! Say you'll follow him! Yes, I will. I'll follow him, I swear. me i did it it's such an interesting line read from michael emerson like it sounds part ecstatic part shocked not shot and part exhausted because like i mean he has been through a lot right from shooting caesar first thing in the morning all the way through being judged i mean also the reason why he talks to son is we sort of skipped over this i think ben believes he might die here I think he thinks that his soul might be beyond salvation, and so the island will, quote-unquote, judge him and kill him for what he did. 
And so I think Ben was a little surprised in a very many ways to see exactly what happened here. So we, we have to assume, right, that he thinks is this does he think this is Alex coming back from the grave? Does he think this is the island talking to him specifically? Uh yeah, I think that he he probably I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if at this point, certainly, first of all, they know about the whispers, right? So maybe he mm-hmm. thinks it's that. Uh, the others know about the whispers, I think, is a very strong inclination uh, that we can kind of take that as a given to some extent. Um, so I think that that is, is a piece of this that, like, he could imagine her being, like, a ghost and, oh, my God, like, I've, like, I've, like, damned her to this uh, plane of existence. Um, but also John Locke is walking around alive all of a sudden. So like the possibilities of, uh, someone being able to, uh, to die and then come back at least in some form are there. Um, but if it is the island's answer or if it's the monster's answer, that doesn't make it any less powerful. I mean, he's, he's really emotionally vulnerable in this moment, having just like relived everything that he's relived, all of these memories, all of these, uh, regrets. Uh, so I think it, it doesn't fully matter. Um, but I think that. I kind of view it. I mean, the way that he talks to, oh, Alex, like that yeah. reads to me as a guy who's who thinks that he has like one final chance to talk to the person he wants to talk to the most. That's my exact read as well. So I think the way that Ben speaks to Alex, again, there are very few opportunities when we get to see the real, you know, unvarnished Benjamin Linus. And I think that's that this in this moment, like he does feel legitimately remorseful. That's the reason why he came here in the first place. And so I do think the, I'm so sorry. I'm so sorry. Mm-hmm. Uh, is I, I do think that is genuine. And so I think from that perspective, it, it would probably make the most sense if he does believe that this is Alex and makes it even scarier that Alex then communicates this message to him. Because even though it's not coming from the island per se, it has a lot of weight, especially as a threat. As we talked about, Ben does not like the idea of being haunted by the past. If, if you know, not following John Locke's orders means that the past literally comes back to haunt him, he does not want that. And so it's yet another, the coup de gras, a cherry on top of the Sunday that the Man in Black is able to pull off in this episode, is to have just the right approach to Ben to say, no matter what he tells you, especially when he tells you to go kill Jacob, you better do it or you know what's going to happen. He's got him. He has his number fully. He has him clocked. It's done. The deal is signed. It's locked up. Uh, Like Ben still has the choice as to whether or not to stab Jacob when they get there. Uh, But man, like that would be... that would be that would be hard to to break the contract. He's like signed the contract at this point. It wouldn't be like impossible, but it would be very very challenging and difficult to do. And that's another thing actually. The more I think about it, the more I realize I wonder if that marina scene, how much does that play into what happens in the shadow of the statue? Right? Cuz Ben realizes like, "Oh, I paused. I let my guard down before." and I paid the price for it, I can't make the same mistake twice. Right. I think that could also be sort of a... We'll obviously break down that moment in much more detail in a few weeks' time, but I can imagine that he's still licking his wounds from that session for him to now regain some resolve and be like, nope, I gotta do this because the moment I hesitate, Desmond's gonna come out of nowhere and beat the crap out of me, uh, beat the f***ing 
shit out of me. Uh, <laughs> is is uh, I, I think it's, it's a moment that I, that probably lives in his head. Post production work on this podcast. Uh, it oh it literally lives in his head as well. But yeah, it's, it's a yeah. big moment. I think it has been at his most vulnerable. Right, like he literally recoils after he talks to Alex because he's expecting this is the end. Yes. He's gonna be D D after yeah. this, and so I think the, again that it let me live is a big moment for Ben. It, it leads him to believe that, like, the island's back on his side. It leads him to believe, much like a taller ghost Walt tells Locke, that he still has work to do, when all along it's just allowing Ben to uh, allowing Ben to essentially be brought into step two of yeah. the big plan. So it is, it's one of these things where, much like Ben has, has been on the other end of, it is someone's, like, relief of avoiding a tragic fate when really there's a much more tragic fate around the corner. Uh, I adore it. I think uh, for all of the reasons you have just said, uh, I just think it's, I think it's really, really exceptionally done. It's so devious. It's so devious. It's right in front of you. It's in the text of the show. You backtrace it to all of the things that you know about the monster and everything that you can, um, uh, you can you can um, extrapolate from like the Christian Shepherd appearances and stuff, and all of it tracks and leads you to this moment. That of course this is the guy. This is all the same guy. He's doing all of these things. He's just totally snowing Benjamin Linus, uh, and it's incredible. I adore it. It it, it never fails to uh, to like deeply amuse me and engage me, and it's just like. Um, it is uh it is a piece of storytelling that I find like exceptionally exciting. It should I I know like people have different opinions on this. Like to, to like to get into the feedback a little bit, of course, like uh your friend and mine, Riley, I, I think has described this as more of like a trick than as a twist. Uh, right. Yeah, he, he he designates between surprising the audience and tricking the audience. Uh right. surprising the audience meaning like, yes, uh it's something that is surprising, but there is logic behind it. Tricking the audience to mean, well, you couldn't have possibly guessed about it because there was nothing that existed in this world that could have led to that conclusion earlier. Yeah, and like that just like is not part of it for me. And I and I and I can tell you that like as a close to day one viewer of this show, like I I when we got to the season five finale and they flipped that card over and they don't even tell you officially what's going on until season six. You know, they don't Mm. tell you in this season that this is the monster. They don't let you know that. They just let you know that he's the he's the Titus Welver character, or at least they like strongly imply that that's the case. But they don't say he's the monster. They don't show him in smoke or anything like that. And I remember being like, oh, my God, he's the smoke monster. The arch enemy of the whole show is the smoke monster. Holy. And I was just so floored, uh, floored by that. And like, it brought me immediately back to this episode of like reexamining it and being like, it's all right there. It's all here. And there's so many building blocks that get you to this moment. And there's like some things about it that are maybe like a little tricky and a little bit, you know, wobbly. But I think like the, the bare essentials of it, like the most basic points of the twist, I think are really cards up and fair 
dead is dead. You don't get to come back from that. Um, what's coming out of the jungle next is something that I can't control, but I did summon, and he summons the monster, and it's John Locke. Um, I just think it's so clever. I think it's I think it's really, really well done. I think you could say whatever you want about the final season and the execution of the character maybe not being great. Um, the deeper we get into it, I'm sure we're going to have a lot of conversations about that and like, what what if? What if we'd done something differently, Mike? Um, you know, what are some of the things that we would want to, to re-examine and revisit there. Um, I'm sure we will have a lot to say in that regard. But for now, in this episode, the Terry O'Quinn performance, especially the way that Michael Emerson reacts to all of it has been, it's just next level. As we're, you know, segueing from that into the scores, into the 4.2 stars, for me, it's just Dead is Dead. I have such a fond association with that it is such an easy 4.2 for me, even with the 20 year old Michael Emerson. <laughs> So I'm giving it a four, and it's not particularly for that reason, though I will say, I I think I'm talking a little bit for the timing stuff. Uh, Not only, you know, I spoke about it before with, like, the Purge stuff. There's also the idea that, assuming, you know, whenever the Purge happened, Charles Widmore leaves the island thereafter. But I think Miles said at one point in season four that Charles Widmore had been looking for the island for 20 years, which it's less than 20 years from that perspective. So... You know, I, I think there it it is able to shade in a little bit as to Charles Winmore's involvement with the island, but I think it's still a little murky compared to the rest of the canon with the show. But the only other you know thing I'll take off of it is I think while Michael Emerson does a really great job, particularly in that last scene, I think it's still missing that emotional oomph for me that I think a lot of the other four point twos give. It is notable that there are only four main cast members that have speaking lines in this episode in Desmond Ben. Sun and Locke. It's not really a big ensemble episode, like maybe something like LaFleur is, where a lot of people get a moment. And so, you know, that that's that's the only thing that I think is precluding me from giving it a 4.2. I'm giving it a 4. I think it's an incredibly solid episode. I will say again what I said at the beginning. I think it is the episode that is most rewarded by a rewatch. To go back to what Riley said before, I can understand his discernment, though I do think there's a lot of subjectivity between surprising the audience and tricking the audience if you're trying to be like, well, I think this is tricking and this is surprising. For me, plain and simple, the best twist for me work where A, you don't see it coming, but B, you watch it back and there were seeds being planted all along. And I think this episode is full of seeds, baby. Where yes, you couldn't have suspected that the man in black takes on the form of dead bodies on the island, but once you know that and you watch back this episode... Everything that leads to the incident, this is a seminal episode for that entire moment. And I I love everything that happens here. Like I said before, it's a great take on the typical Ben Locke stuff that we got in the the man from Tallahassee, in the man behind the curtain, even a bit in Cabin Fever as well, a three-hander with Hurley. It's, It's a really, really well done episode and continues on that very strong streak here in season five. I love it. I just think it's so great. It's just so ridiculous to me. Uh, I think I think it's done really, really well. Your mileage can and perhaps even may vary. Uh, the mileage from the the hatchlings nets out to a three point seven uh, average score for Dead Is Dead. I don't have the scores all in front of me. I think it hits the twos for a couple of people. Uh, yeah, I think I'm looking, I think it goes I'm looking that right low. now. It looks like I see I see a two point nine is the lowest other than that i see a couple of low threes but i see many more high threes uh low fours and it's gonna put it overall at number three 
at the moment, like slightly above, actually getting the exact same scores, but you just some math wonkiness is going to be one one hundredth of a point ahead of He's Are You. Yeah. Uh, so I think that that's great. I think that these episodes are of a very strong, similar quality. One is more character driven, I think. Um, one is a little more twisty, although it's character driven in its own right. Yeah. Uh, it's just, you know, not a character that you're really uh, you're really anticipating. And, and frankly, as far as character driven stuff, it's a really, really powerful uh, Benjamin Linus episode. I think like we're doing a lot of talk about the twist because it's just like it's so it's like this is a rewatch podcast. So, you know, like we're talking about it from that POV. Um, but I think just like on first blush too just like the work that goes into the ben character this week is is really 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 good right because like we talked about you know the shape of things to come was a huge game-changing moment for ben because it was the first time that he made this claim and he was wrong and we had you know we saw the immediate aftermath of that just like how voraciously he goes after the mercs and he has that brief moment where he cries over alex's body but he hasn't really had an opportunity to sort of mourn her and reconcile the choice he made there to essentially do nothing. And I think this is a really great follow-up to it and a great examination of not Benjamin Linus is a good guy, necessarily, but more so, what does make this man tick? If the man behind the curtain was the introduction to that, this is certainly the continuation of that. Yeah, for sure. All right, let's get into some feedback. This is from Mike Puncher, who wrote in, Josh and Mike... I can't believe we've made it this far into season five and you haven't asked the perennial question of down the hatch. Is John Locke the smoke monster? I'm not seeing it personally. Yeah, personally, I don't see it either. Um, It's a bridge bridge too far, Mike. I'm sorry. From Andrew. Andrew says, it's amazing how many clues were staring us in the face about who Locke really was. Agreed. Um, This is from Riley's feedback. Riley's feedback was really, really, really long. We can't read it in full, but this is a piece of it. We're very appreciative of it. Of course, absolutely. And we're talking about it in the Post Show Recaps Patreon Discord. You can sign up, patreon.com slash post show recaps. You can sign up at the Discord level. You can have these conversations with us. The conversation continues offline in that form. Uh, really, really fun to do so. Um, from uh, Riley, this is a piece of that feedback. Riley says, the audience was never given a chance here. We never knew this was possible or even an option. And when Locke is revealed to truly be dead or some ancient being of evil is posing as Locke, it feels unfair. Like, how the hell are we supposed to figure that out? I think that at the very end of Dead is Dead, you should reveal that the man in black is Locke Locke and not in the finale. I think that allows you to grieve Locke as a character. I then think it improves Follow the Leader, understanding the impending doom of Ben following the man in black, not being Locke. It also gives the audience some time in the final part of the season to try and figure out what exactly it means to have the man in black possessing Locke. Um, but I think that that's, for me, I feel like that's what the offseason accomplishes uh, for sure. Um, and then like in the actual running of the show, if you're just binging it, you get this reveal that it's not Locke. Uh, and then in the very next episode on the first, uh, if you're watching in the natural order, um, you're going to find out who it actually is, you know, really, really, really quickly. Um, you know, in the very next episode that it's revealed that it's not the same guy. And then if you were to watch it with Across the Sea at the start of the thing, now you're getting like context for the character as uh, as the very next episode. So I think in the in the binge, like you get there. I think the binge gets you to where you need to be. But I know for me, like the off season, like was the time where I was like, oh man, they really killed Locke, but they found a way to keep Terry O'Quinn on the show. Okay, cool. Let's see where we go. Uh, so I was, I was fine with all of that. 
person. Yeah, I almost want to like put a pin in this comment and address it later on in the season because I think my thoughts on it because I think it's a really interesting idea, but I can't realistically say how I would feel about if the episode ended like this without thinking about follow the leader and especially the reveal of the body in the box in the incident of like, are we okay losing that? You know, how, how do you view it upon that? Because I think, you know, listen, I'm, I'm Mr. Let's change the, the structure of episodes all the time, especially in season five. And it would be a really, really cool way to end the episode. Like it would be an all time ending. If that was the case, I guess my question is, you know, are you losing out on other moments or could you possibly engage with it in another opportunity? As, as Riley talks about, does follow the leader play differently on that first watch if you know that Ben is being suckered the entire time? I'm not sure. We'll see if the juice is worth the squeeze in a few weeks. Yeah, I think it is personally. Uh, and I, I think it's, uh, you know, it's 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 such a seismic thing. Uh, and I think it was it was the Ben behind the curtain who was in the Discord who was talking about how it really is hard to uh, to like overstate the speculation around the smoke monster being like one of the central questions that people were speculating yep. on when it comes to Lost in the in the real time. And then again, um, this was this was the thing that was set up in the very first episode of the series. What is the monster? Who is the monster? It's like one of it is it is one of. It it is like the the first big mystery of the show, other than like where is this place, guys? Where are we? And it predates that. It is the first major question of the show: is what is that thing roaring in the jungle? Yeah. It's how the first act of the first episode ends, right? We and, have that extended sixteen minute sequence, and it ends with the monster tearing up trees. And it would be, and it would be bold for sure to reveal that in the twelfth episode of the fifth season. But I think that the reason why for me it really works as like this reveal in like the combo platter of the season five finale and the season six premiere um, is that like uh, this is this is I I had always like had it in my head. I remember like walking home from class with uh, a couple of uh, a couple of uh, of friends, just like talking about Lost, nerding out about it as we often did, and just like speculating what will the finale look like someday. And like at this point, we knew that the monster could take on the likenesses of dead people because Mister Echo was gone at this point, and we were like imagining like jack having to fight uh like shannon and then boone and then mr echo and like all these different versions and like i still miss that i still wish that like we'd (laughs) gone there a little bit more you want a boss rush on lost well i think that like the he has to be this way now like this is where you start to get in trouble right like he's locked into this form he can never shape shift again i guess you're stuck in the last body you occupied you know and like now now you're stuck in this form and but you can still be smoke you just can't shape shift into other it's like well, now we're getting into like so like I know we want to give Terry O'Quinn the job. He could just be like, I love being John Locke. This is great. But like to like remove the shape shifting piece, I think uh, was probably uh, a, a tactical error personally. Um, but we were having those conversations along the way. But it was the kind of thing where we were imagining that for the finale, like nobody that I knew expected that we would find out what the monster was until like the end of the show and. S- and and so the fact that they do that at the end of season five was a huge shock. It was like, whoa, oh my God, that gives you a lot of energy going in to that final season of like, okay, all right, now we know we're in final boss territory. 
Right. It's a game changer in a certain regard. And I know that it also comes down to expectations as well. I think this is where, you know, Riley penned that really great essay about Desmond before, but where he and I disagree is I think he was like, oh, I always knew that Desmond would come back. So I was fine with him showing up for seasons five and six. And I know that part of his argument as well is he's like, well, I always felt that it wasn't John Locke. And I think that's where it also comes into as well that, you know, I think people were certainly speculating at the time, okay, how did John Locke come back to life? But at least me, dumb 19-year-old me, was like, oh, yeah, this is John Locke. I, I, I should believe it. You know, this is clearly he's got a little bit of a different strut and he's performing. He's acting a bit differently than the John Locke we know. But this has to be the man proper. I can't wrap my head around the fact that this is not someone uh, who is John Locke in John Locke's body. And so I do think also maybe the way you compartmentalize the twist relies on your expectations of will clearly something up then maybe you're you're not going to have as big of a reaction to what happened but personally me i was completely flummoxed as to what happened seeing that body in the coffin and who you know john loki really was yeah. because i didn't necessarily expect it that's the kind of coffin flop you only see on corncob tv you exactly. did not expect Damn it, that on I lost i can't watch it anymore so yeah. i'm just imagining it in my head right now that's why we've got down the hatch uh john ross had written in and said there's a scene where ben and Smokey travel between islands on a canoe Remember Smokey making very deliberate movements, removing footwear and shifting his legs in and out of the canoe. To me, it always felt like this was set up for a yet-to-be-revealed smoke monster rule that it couldn't touch the water. This would also explain how the smoke monster couldn't leave the island. I thought my theory was going to be tested in the Season 6 blow-up-the-submarine episode when Smokey gets knocked off the dock into the water, but the water itself seemed irrelevant in Smokey's reaction. I always wondered if this was an idea the writers had abandoned. I've never seen or heard anything in interviews and was curious if you had. No, John, I, I have uh, no recollection of anything about that in interviews, but I have always thought it was interesting the way that um, Terry O'Quinn, uh, he's you know barefoot on the outrigger, he gets on the dock, and he just like takes the time to put his socks and shoes back on. Um, Like for me, I think like in the same way in which like the monster says like, this is the best mango I've ever had. I think like he's enjoying like uh, putting on socks and shoes and walking around in John Locke's life. That if like we take that, like he does like glom onto certain aspects of the people that he's possessing, which I think like, you need that in order to make like some of the stuff in the final season work as as well as it needs to like in the substitute he's going to have a moment where like he bellows at a young ghostly jacob don't tell me what i can't do like mm-hmm. aspects of Locke are like sticking to him like gum in your hair <laughs> uh and so like i think like there is like a piece of 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 this for him where he's like man this guy really loved being on the island walking feels so good right now well that's the thing yeah it's not only he liked being on the island but he liked the idea of walking yes. right it's it's weird to say don't take this out of context rhap out of context account but i think he has kind of a feet thing right it's this idea of like the the die hard you gotta take your shoes off and you know cr- curl your toes on the carpet to really feel like you're getting settled in on a place that you can truly make it home and I feel like, given the history of what happened with John Locke, that John Locke, Loki is sort of copping to a bit, there is, I think, a little bit of a fascination and a celebration when it comes to standing, you know, with your feet in the sand. That being said, to answer John's question, 
I would not be surprised if the writers were like, oh, we'll make this fun. He can't touch the water for whatever reason. And then the sixth season comes along, and they're like, well, you can't knock him in the water because we have this whole water thing. And they say, what, what are you talking about? No, no, we're not going to do that. That's, that's silly. Yeah. We don't need to create rules for him. It's fine. He can get knocked into the water. Yeah. Um, Jim Fells, the legend, uh, writes in and says, Charles Woodmore implies that he can communicate with the island, stating that the island wants Alex dead, whether Ben would like her to be or not. He turns out to be right about Alex's upcoming death, though he wasn't entirely uninvolved. Do you think Widmore really was special in the sense that he was able to communicate with the island and sense what it wanted, or was he simply bluffing? Bluffing. He was living in Bluffington with Doug Funny. Because here's the thing, like, he wasn't entirely uninvolved with Alex's death, but it was almost coincidental. The Mercs ran into Alex. Alex says, I'm Ben's daughter, and Kimi uses that as leverage. Basically, he gets the orders to raise the island. I think it was... Charles Winmore talking out of his ass because that is Charles Winmore, and that's the reason why he ends up not ruling over the island, much like Ben, as I mentioned before, because he's not the right person, yet he is prognosticating that this is his, he knows the island so well uh, that he's going to make this false claim that ends up coincidentally becoming true. Yeah, uh, I think that that, uh, that tracks for me as well. Eric Divestein asks us, what's your favorite Charles Winmore look? I think I, it's pretty I, clear. I, lo- I I think he looks great as, uh, in his 40s. I think he looks fantastic. Yeah, I mean, I think, I don't know, it's, it's weird for me to see Alan Dale with long hair, personally. It's still, it still is an image I have to get used to. I think he obviously rocks the wig a lot better than Michael Emerson does, though I think that's not by choice. But I don't know, I, I like Alan Dale with the, the bald look that he's rocking. He wears it well. Uh, fair question here from Daniel Brennan, who says, is it believable that Ben wouldn't be even a little suspicious about the ruse that the man in black is pulling? I just find it hard to believe that he has so little knowledge of the smoke monster. Does he really think he's talking to his daughter? Uh, you know, uh, I docked Richard Alpert some points, right? Like, he should know this stuff. Like, he should know who you're dealing with. Well, that's uh, the thing. If Richard Alpert doesn't know it, then Ben definitely doesn't know it. Yeah. Uh, I think, uh, I think that it's not unfair though. Like as somebody who's like, I'm an ardent defender of this twist and I think that it's really great. Um, I do think that like, there are definitely, uh, some, some leaps that need to be made. Um, you could head can in it that, you know, smoke monster is like, like if these, if these people are like expert chess players, you know, Richard Alper, Benjamin Linus, like they're just like strategists beyond belief that know the Island mostly inside and out then uh, the smoke monster has been around for thousands of years, uh, is not just some malevolent force of like physical destructiveness, uh, but actually has like agency and an agenda and interests and things that it wants to do, namely leave, that maybe it would hold back uh, some of the things that it demonstrates in front of uh, the likes of, of Ben and Richard. Uh, maybe there are things that it can do that it doesn't, um, trot out in front of just anyone, you yeah. know, unless he thinks that either he's about to really turn them and it would be useful for them to like associate like the Yemi trick with being the smoke monster. Or if that doesn't go the way he wants it to go, his next move would be to kill this person who he has just mm-hmm. revealed himself to. Um, so I, I think like through that lens, um, it would be possible that like Ben does not know that this is a thing that it can do that. It like, you know, has like, you know, it has skin in the game. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Again, let's go back to uh, the namesake himself. And in Loki, right. The best con artists, the best tricksters do not reveal their full bag of tricks. 
And I think even if you have people like Richard Alpert who are mainstays of this island, you're not going to reveal everything in your repertoire because you still kind of need an out. And I think it's only when the man in black sees this opportunity, this loophole, that he begins to get not a little sloppy, but I think a little more upfront as to like, yep, you caught me. This is what I can do now because he figures like, well, this is my way out anyway. I don't need anything to hide at this moment, I can show my cards because this is the last hand of the poker game. Yeah. Um, from Megan, uh, Megan said, how did Ethan survive the purge? And then Joanne, the Pistons fan, asks, why do you think Ethan defected from Dharma to the others? I mean, so yeah, because he survives the purge, but his parents do not, clearly. We at least see Horace is dead. We don't know if Amy becomes Amelia and lives through it. Well, I mean, they do take the kids off the island. Was Ethan part of that, you think? And then he comes back? Well, we we do see him, you know, he, he travels to and from. Um, I think, like, you know, clearly he, he and Ben are tight. Uh, and, like, there's a new baby that is born at the same exact time that Benjamin Linus is reborn, right? Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and when he comes back... Uh, does he see, like, if, if patience is the virtue, does he see, like, a potential, like, kindred spirit in uh, this very impressionable young new life? Uh, and does, like, Ethan just kind of, like, grow up being raised by another in Benjamin Linus? Or could it be a thing where once upon a time, and Richard Alpert even talks about it in the beginning of this episode, right? He took an interest in a young Benjamin Linus, someone he could lead astray from the D.I. to his ways. Could it be, okay, here's an idea, the youth of the island, they are certainly people that are impressionable. Perhaps we can indoctrinate ourselves within the kids on this island. And so Ethan just happens to have a personality that is indisposed to, you know, being susceptible to that. It could also be a thing where uh, maybe Ethan dies at a certain point. He gets taken to the temple, and that's why he Baptized. is so. That's yeah. why he is so effed up as he is when we see him in season one. Yeah, um, let's do the MVP LVPs. I've got three MVPs and two LVPs. You've got two MVPs and three LVPs. I'm just, uh, I'm just piling all my MVPs on that smoke monster. Uh, it's a great episode for the smoke monster. It's just like it, this is this is the smoke monster's uh, best episode to this point, and uh, he's had some good ones. It's just really hard to deny, like. It's it's all the reasons that you give someone an MVP point. Uh, exceptional acting from Terry O'Quinn, great character stuff, uh, and like uh, mastery over the situation. You know, those are like that's the three pronged thing here. Is like Terry O'Quinn is just on another level uh, playing this character. Uh, it's it's really doing a lot for the character and his forward momentum when you look at him through a certain lens and you know what he really is and who he really is. Like you can read his actions a very specific way, so it's really great in that regard. Uh, and he just has Ben's number the whole way through. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's very easy for me to just pile all my points on the smoke monster. It's a masterclass of manipulation. It it's right up there with some of the best stuff that characters like Ben and Sawyer were able to do in their respective episodes. Let me spread the wealth a little bit. Do uh, it. I'm gonna, I'm going to give one MVP point to Desmond because he does defend his family's honor. He saves his family's life and he beats the ever living snot out of Benjamin Linus. Probably from a physical perspective, the worst beatdown he ever receives. Right, like even after Jack beats the crap out of Ben, Ben's not nursing his arm for a couple days afterwards. Desmond 
seriously laid into this guy like he was the human Jimmy Lennon's cricket bat. Uh, and I'm going to use this opportunity to segue into the LVP points because I'm going to simultaneously give Ben a point and dock Ben a point. I'm going to give him an LVP point and an LVP point. MVP because of Michael Emerson. And also Ben does, I think, an objectively good thing in protecting Alex in not killing the baby and in not killing Penny. But an LVP point because he gets duped and he gets the snot kicked out of him. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. So it's, a, it's, a, it's fair. a wash for Ben overall, much like he was washed fair. in the ocean. I think that's totally fair. Uh, I give an LVP point to Caesar. He dies. Easy. Mm-hmm. I'll give him one as well because he allows Ben to take a gun out of his bag right in front of his eyes. I give an LVP point to Charles Widmore for being self-righteous about Ben not killing a baby and then not killing the baby himself. Charles Widmore is just a total dweeb and a jerk. Yep, and I'm going to pile on that as well. Let me continue the trend of Widmore continuing to get points. He mm-hmm. is, despite that like brief glimpse of hope in the beginning, the Allendale version is such an a-hole in yeah. this episode. Uh, yeah. And so, and he's ultimately, you know, wrong about everything as well. And that's going to con- make him continue to fall further. I believe now he is tied with Ben at the bottom of our ratings. He is at a negative six for the season. Both of them are. Yeah. Uh, well, we're going to spend more time with the likes of Rosinski and, uh, and Phil and all of these other Dharma turds pretty soon here, uh, starting next week with some like it Hoth, which will be coming your way next friday uh in uh, the main down the hatch feed on august 6th or it will show up in your feed on august 4th if you are a patron of post show recaps you get episodes of down the hatch a couple days early just some incentive to sign up patreon.com slash post show recaps get your feedback in down the hatch at post show recaps you're going to want to get that in by i would say the morning of august 2nd you also want to get your feedback in early for the variable as we are going to be recording that episode next week as well we're doing a little bit of a tiny binge record here between some like it hoff and the variable so get your feedback in for both of those episodes down the hatch at post show recaps dot com um mike bloom what else is going on Oh, what else is going on? We're moving on into season six for the Bloom Files. Uh, we're moving on to season six and, and down the hatch in a few weeks, but we're getting into everything post film. Lots of exciting stuff. There's some. We're talking some Brian Cranston this week uh, on the Bloom Files, and then over on Rob has a podcast proper, of course, covering Survivor South Africa all time merge episode and all time Survivor episode last week, which is super exciting. Talked about that. Maybe talking about some Big Brother as well on the B and B this week. But for next week, I am I'm interested in some like it Hoth because I remember watching this episode and not being terribly into it because it's our first and only Miles flashback episode. We find out a bit more about him, about Pierre Chang. He has not been doing it for you. Also, it's worth noting. uh, I mean, as I have said before, though, in the three years time, like the 1977 Miles is a lot less of a of a dweeb to use your own parlance. Yeah. He's a lot less of like a smarmy presence. So I'm I'm happier about this version of Miles, but we're finally gonna get his story to tell. We're gonna find out a lot of stuff about Pierre Chang. This is arguably Hurley's biggest part of the season since the lie. But I'm intrigued to look at it because you know, there are episodes like Treasure Tanaka, right? Where in the moment you're like, all they do is this restart the van, but it's actually a really great character piece and also planting the seeds for how things are going to sprout later on. We're not going to get a huge Miles arc overall, but I'm going to be really intrigued to see 
this feels like a true stop down marinated in this character unlike the previous episodes which had character moments but i think had plot relevance as well i don't think we're necessarily getting as much of that next week but i'll be happy to relitigate this episode and see if it's probably going to rise higher in my books than when i first saw it uh i really enjoyed it on this most recent rewatch i think it's really 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 good the miles and hurley two-hander is great um some really good strong emotional content too um from from miles and like I think that the show just does like the show always deals with daddy issues, right? All the best uh-huh. daddies, but I think like this is a special one because like he's right he's close enough to touch. You know, like so I think that there's like there's something different that they're able to play with in terms of that dynamic here on this show um in this upcoming this upcoming episode. So I really, really, really love it. And it's also just hysterical. So uh definitely has risen in my estimation. I'm looking forward to talking it through with you, Mike. Uh, we're looking forward for uh, looking forward to all of you guys listening to it uh, as we are getting really down the wire here on season five. Yeah, we four are, more uh, episodes of season five left. We are in that home stretch. Uh, so get your feedback in down the hatch at postshowrecaps.com. We'll be back next week with some like it off. Until then, everybody, take care. Bye bye. Grand Canyon University, we believe in equal opportunity, and the American dream starts with purpose. Whether your pursuit involves a bachelor's, master's, or doctoral degree, GCU's learning environments are designed for supportive networking and collaboration. With over 330 academic programs, GCU provides a path to help you fulfill your dreams. The pursuit to serve others is yours. Find your purpose at GCU. Private. Christian. Affordable. Visit gcu.edu.